Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of Oh, What a Marvel, right here on Merc with the Movie Blog. This is our Marvel podcast. We cover all the things going on in the world of Marvel. Uh, you may not recognize most of us here. Uh, I am Josh the Merc Rainer, and I am joined here by uh, some of my buds. We got Brad Felicki. Brad, how you doing today? Yeah, good, good. Hope everyone's and, doing well. Good. And Seth Singleton, man, how you doing? I'm well, man. Good to good to hang out with you guys. These two are hilarious. Yeah. Listen to everything they say. That's right. Now, uh, these two guys uh, I, I work with over at DC Comics News, so we're kind of jumping over to the other side of the pond with this uh, this show. So it's going to be a little fun talking some Marvel here. So uh, I wanted to start off asking you guys, how familiar were you guys with Modoc before uh, getting into? this series because uh, i wasn't so like i knew who Mordek was but uh i i wasn't super familiar with his background and things like that so uh, i was just kind of curious uh you guys can you know, just kind of jump in uh let me know what you uh what you knew you know i i knew of Modak. he was kind of always one of those villains that always seemed to pop up like um and a lot of times it was played for a joke but there are certain times where he was kind of straight up horrifying. Um, but, you know, what? one thing that the show did bring to light to me was that I didn't realize he was actually a Stanley uh, Kirby creation, uh, which is kind of on that weirder spectrum of Jack Kirby. But if you look at the design of the character, uh, it, it really does kind of fit with his aesthetic, kind of like the geometric and the square yeah. kind of shapes of the costume and stuff. So that... I did learn that with um, with watching the show, and I'm kind of hoping with this show that Modok becomes like kind of like Root, like a household name, a character that you didn't think most people would know about, but here he is. So, yeah, yeah he's always one of those villains that always did seem to pop up. And I love how they, uh, you know, did a little shout out to Kirby. With Kirby University, uh, yeah. you know, being the college that Modak went to, I thought that was yeah. it was a great little touch. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Seth? I knew like that much about Modak. Like I, one, I, I'm not surprised at all. Like I didn't know either um, that he was a Kirby creation. But as soon as you said that, Brad, I just went, makes all the sense in the world. Like there, there's there's something always big about Kirby stuff, whether it's a close up of a face or a big head. Uh, he reminds me of the DC side. Uh, who is it? I think he was. They called him Egg, and he was the one who was kind of a, a big bad in the uh, Fifty Two series. If you guys remember that, he was the mm. one who assembled all the mad scientists, and yeah. we were supposed to be working on the project with him. And he he kind of has that similar thing: big body, little tiny arms and legs, and <laughs> <laughs> um, I got a big head, little arms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big man, little jacket. Um, just to <laughs> toss that one out for anyone who remembers. Uh, I think the one thing that that caught me the most was that he always appeared. Yeah, as you said, like a joke. I always compared him with like the the more tech savvy mole man. Like he was like a tech savvy version of like a mole man. Like. Of course it's this guy. He was the only villain for so long. And he always showed up with some nefarious, outlandish, world-conquering plan. And whatever army he had was cut to pieces by the hero of the moment. And yeah, he he felt like he might have been important at a point. 
but mostly he was just like he seems like a villain of the week and even that like a villain of the day like you could start a story by beating up modok and then move on to something else for the big main story <laughs> like you know you could have the fantastic four or somebody else like all right and we're kicking modok's butt two pages later okay that's done so what's our real problem going to be this issue like you know yeah. what i mean like that's what i always followed him so the, this this made me care a little bit about a guy who i knew that much before yeah. coming in yeah and uh, I like, like <laughs> yeah i didn't i didn't know much at all um i knew of the character i knew what he looked like things like that didn't really know his backstory or anything but and i think that if it hadn't been for the robot chicken guys and and pat and oswald i don't know if i would have necessarily been as interested in checking this out you know what i mean if it was just like a basic animated series i might have checked it out but there was there'd be no guarantee that I would I would actually check this out, but I love Robot Chicken. I love that that they chose to go that claymation route with this show, yeah. and uh, I, I think Pat Oswald was was fantastic. So uh, <laughs> his voice yeah. was perfect. Yeah, and uh, I, I love the uh, the opening because it so reminded me of being a kid, yeah. and like one of the only shows we could watch was like David and Goliath. Have you ever seen that clay claymation yeah. style show? Yep. It, it, as soon as it was a young Modoc with that hair, I was like, "Oh, okay, you got me." And then as soon as I heard Patton's voice, I was like, "All right, I'm in. Settle back. Let's see how this is going to go." Yeah, I, I don't know what happened to Brad, but you know, if he pops back in, oh, there he is. Hey, there he is. <laughs> Man of mystery and intrigue, right there. <laughs> Disappeared there for a minute, but he's back. All right, so uh, I think uh, we should just kind of dive into uh, these episodes, see what you guys uh, all think. We're going to start off episode number one, titled, If This Be Modoc." All right, so a lot of stuff actually happens in this first episode. I mean, you know, we get to meet Modoc's family. Uh, we find out about Grumble, this tech company that wants to take over AIM. Uh, I mean, we get to see Iron Man. You know, we get a fight right at the beginning between Modok and Iron Man, which I uh, thought was great. Uh, and we get to meet Gary, one of my favorite characters in this show, for the very first time. So uh, let me hear your thoughts on uh, episode one. Yeah, there was there was a lot happening. Uh, <laughs> I like the whole uh, getting Iron Man's boot. Yes, that was uh, that was a, a, a pretty fun uh, bunch, uh, and I, I think right from the jump off, I could feel how much fun Patton Oswalt was having with the character. Yeah, and just that that had me sold right from the beginning, and setting it up as kind of like a workplace slash family comedy. Yeah, pretty brilliant. So everything that they that they set up was was uh, right on point, uh, and yeah, inter- introduction of Gary and Grumble, and it was good to see Aim and the uh, the old beekeeper. Uh, yes, from uh, right. from the comic, and right from the jump, we hear that you know Modok is mental organism designed only for killing. Yep, right off the bat. Right off the bat, so that that was. That was there. So, yeah, I mean, this was a, a, a really good uh, good start for the series, I think. Yeah, what about you, Seth? Such a smart intro. Like, immediately sets us up with, yeah, you know, him <laughs> fighting with Iron Man, coming away with his trophy, the uh, boot. Yeah. 
and, and acting like, you know, there it is. I've proven it. World Conqueror Modoc right here. And as Brad pointed out, yeah, we, we immediately know what his acronym stands for. <laughs> and we can sort of like, you know, oh, oh, okay. So he's, you know, got that name for himself, which you just can chuckle about too. Like what mom does that? You know, I think back to the early Top Gun. He's trying to pick up Kelly McGillis at the bar, and she's like, so what's your name? He's like, Maverick, and she's like, did your mother hate you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're like, Modoc, why would you name your child something where they are? <laughs> Mechanized organism designed to make it. Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't, but, you know, child rearing, it's your kid, not my job. I'm not trying That's to get him involved, but we do get to meet the family, and um, right now, it is a toss-up for me between Gary and Lou because uh <laughs> i love lou man ben schwartz is hilarious and he does such yeah. a good job as lou it's hilarious i love it so he much was brilliant like everything about that performance was perfect for me and the more i saw it the more i was just like yeah they're getting feedback from whatever dailies whatever they're like more lou more cowbell yeah. more lou absolutely (laughs) yeah i feel like i feel like you know you say more you know more loot i think i feel like they did the same thing with gary though because you he increasingly got more and more gary time as the show went on and it's funny because you see that shot in the trailer of him getting his arm blown off you don't know (laughs) that he's gonna be anything important he's just a guy in a trailer getting his arm blown off and even in the first episode like when that happens you don't know his name or anything He's just a dude who happens to be there getting coffee, wrong place, wrong time. But, uh, you know, over the series, uh, I, I grew to love this guy. He's hilarious. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about Grumble, this tech company that uh, buy, winds up buying AIM. It reminded me, I don't know if you guys watched Parks and Rec. It reminded me of Grizzle from like the last season. It was a tech company that kind of came in and it was very much like this company. Even the guy, Austin, sounds just like the guy from Grizzle and Parks and Rec. He sounds like uh, Roscoe from that. And so I was like, are they going for that vibe? Because, I mean, it is a workplace comedy, you know, and and it has and at times it has that mockumentary feel because it looks kind of like a modern family kind of film style. With like the kind of camera moves around a little bit and all that stuff, so uh, it's kind of the vibe I got. I don't know; uh, it's just something that stuck out to me right right away that uh, uh, that that I noticed. And uh, this episode had one of my favorite quotes in it. I don't know if you guys uh, caught this. Uh, Modoc says, "It's ridiculous to put a mental condom on the horse penis that is my brain." <laughs> and uh i wa- when i watched it the second time i laughed even harder i thought it was i thought it was fantastic so uh yeah, the show we have a lot of those moments where it's mm-hmm. like a quick blink and you'll miss it which kind of also is a little bit <laughs> reminiscent of things like parks and rec because it did pack a lot of jokes into yeah. as, as a little amount of time as possible yeah absolutely uh then we get uh later on in the episode we get a mind heist which I thought was pretty cool. You know, we finally get to see uh, what lengths Modoc is willing to go, you know, when it comes to his family. And uh, he decides he's going to take over his wife's brain when he accidentally gets injected into her. So uh, what'd you guys think of that? That's kind of curious. That starts the, the main theme of the show right there. Yeah. 
because there is a lot of do I choose family, do I choose work? And that's that's basically mm-hmm. the show in a nutshell. And that was yeah. the perfect way to start that off. Yeah, absolutely. That was a great one. I mean, like really quickly, you understand what the stakes are in his mind and what lengths he'll go to. And as far as he's concerned, his wife is just another thing that he uses to achieve his ultimate goal, whatever that is in the moment. <laughs> yep. And uh, yeah, the, that that whole injection idea that that was pretty awesome. Like <laughs> from the moment they started off, and and then. Uh, well, things don't always. It reminded me of the movie. I don't know if you guys know the movie Inner Space from oh, way back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Martin yeah, Short. And, Dennis Quaid, uh, I think. Dennis Quaid, thank yeah. you. Yeah. That, that's all I could think about. I was like, yo, they're totally pulling an inner space over here. That's exactly <laughs> what was going on. Uh, yeah. And this is the thing that is the driving force that leads Jody to ask for divorce at the end of this episode. And, and that's where the majority of the series kind of kind of revolves around is their the relationship between Modoc and Jody and him you know the, whether or not they'll get back together and, and, and all this and how it affects the family as well. All right, so then we get into episode two, the Modoc that time forgot, and uh, this one, Modoc moving out right at the beginning. Uh, he plans a time travel. Uh, escapade to take Jody back to see a Third Eye Blind concert while also uh, planning to kill Austin as a kid. And uh, I, I thought this was a great episode, just uh, the whole time travel thing. I mean, pretty much the whole episode doesn't mean anything, really. Uh, like The events that take place, it all gets erased, but it does have lasting effects, obviously. Throughout this whole ep- uh, this whole episode, we get uh, past Modoc, who later on we find out is referred to as the anomaly. Now, I looked this up. Apparently, there is a being known as the anomaly in Marvel. Uh, as far as I know, it has nothing to do with Modoc. But uh, it, I, I don't know if uh, they're going to do more with the idea of that in later seasons uh, at all. But I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, I don't know if you guys know anything about this character at all this uh being known as the anomaly uh anything anything no no fill us in who is the what did you learn from your research like what's the anomaly he's kind of like he comes from like outside of time you know so like the idea of it you know is kind of it's kind of the same idea but it again has nothing to do with modok so they just kind of took the concept and and kind of placed it into into Modoc, which I think is cool. You know, they use what they have and just kind of mix it up a bit. So I found that I found that fascinating. Uh, this is the episode where we learned that uh, Modoc went to Kirby University, which I thought was great. You know, uh, as soon as I heard them say that, I was like, "Oh, there we go." I love that. Uh, we also uh, he also t- mentioned Cerebro as it's just apparently chilling in a box at AIM which I thought was interesting, just Cerebro in a box. And uh, we get a pretty sweet fight between the two Modocs. So uh, I want to get your guys' thoughts on the kind of confrontation between the two Modocs. Um, I, I did like the fight. Um, and overall, I never thought I would feel sentimental about Third Eye Blind, but that's, that's beside the point. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of, you know, and the fight kind of really made me root for 
our Modoc. It yeah. almost seemed like it, that fight made me realize that um, his heart, as twisted as it might be, was in the right place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what about you, Seth? Yeah, what I, what I also love is that it, it made a real significant point behind what that moment in time meant for the two different Modocs, the our Modoc, as Brad, you described it, and the the Modoc from the past, who now is sent on a different trajectory and later, be, you know, becomes the anomaly. But uh, th- this idea of if you're paying attention, there's a significant moment that occurs within the story. And there's a reason why it is that Modoc wants to go back to that third eye blind or third eye blind concert and share it with Jody. It's because they didn't get to go. And the reason behind that is why we have the modern day, the one we know is our Modoc, and why the one who didn't yeah. go through that experience is so still like single minded. And and yeah, Brad, like the third eye blind, like going into his room, I just kept catching all these like nineties like feels for things where I was like Wait a minute. Did I, did I wait? And then just his whole outfit with like the Caesar haircut. Yes. <laughs> the George Clooney, as it's later described much yep. more appropriately than I just did, but that George Clooney Caesar haircut. <laughs> and, and if you look at his clothes, they feel so 90 esque for 90s esque for like a, you know, college student. Um, yeah. So I, I love that not only. Not only do we have all that, but then we have the reason that there's even a thing between the two of them. Because, of course, Modoc, who's there to kill Austin, but suddenly, of course, gets sidetracked by something else that has to be wildly more important about himself, is the reason we even get, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and from that, we establish really quickly with that episode, like, again, Brad, what is it he's willing to do and how quickly this genius of a guy with world conquering plans, like, all it takes is someone going, you look stupid. And he'd be like, what? And then the world conquering plans are totally ruined. (laughs) And of course, what's the biggest ego he could get into a fight with? Well, his own back when he was young and had no priorities and didn't care about family or hadn't been softened by what it means to nurture and care, even though how much of that he actually did is questionable. I I, I love that. It was like really clear when you're watching it, like brilliant, pick a moment, make it significant. And then from there we have this like, spiraling story that's going to keep crossing into the the modern day and uh yeah it, it was a really it was a really great little trip down memory lane and i love that so much you see like the 70s or the 80s have been like the great place to go back to but we're i love the moments where they go to the 90s and i'm just oh, like yeah. oh oh yeah i want There's more of that embarrassing moments from my life right there right there okay perfect <laughs> I might have worn some. Okay, yeah, it's yeah, true. it was awesome, dude. What'd I'm you pretty think? sure <laughs> I still have that Third Eye Blind CD. I'm just saying, you know, I listened to do, that. Do, I jammed do, out to it all do, the time. Do, do, do. <laughs> <laughs> what I loved about this episode is, like, you know, two episodes in, they've already got you really caring about these characters, and they just they know just how to manipulate your heartstrings because, like, they you know they go back in time and they're falling back in love as they're standing outside the house, you know, for, you know, what seems like decades. Cause they grow old, uh, watching themselves, you know, live this life together, you know, and you're like, Oh sweet. They find they're 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 falling back in love and we can, we can kind of, you know, see where it goes from here. And then all of it is just erased because they don't, they forget to even say anything. Modoc just 
goes up in there, smashes that time machine, and they're gone. You know, and I just I love the way they were able to just kind of give us this not really filler episode, but I mean, a lot of it didn't, you know, because none of it existed. You know, like we you have that question of, you know, you killed yourself, you're going to disappear, but none of it happened. So that doesn't matter. You know, uh, the anomaly you, you, you think about, okay, well, if he's floating around through space, why doesn't he know? Like, why doesn't future Modoc know? It's because none of it even happened. You know what I mean? So like, they did a really good job of kind of messing with time in this, uh, in this episode, which I thought was really cool because I mean, we got to see Marvel do time travel, you know, in Endgame. But this was a very different kind of time travel, you know, which I thought was really neat for still being uh, a Marvel property. And uh, then we got uh, to see at the end, we got Mo- uh, Modoc's crappy apartment as he's rooming with the super adaptoid, which I thought was great. Uh, what do you guys think about all that? Uh, I love the super adaptoid in this. <clears throat> I feel sorry yeah. for him. I hope you <laughs> I, I... What a great use of uh, of that character, which yeah, and this will probably be something that we talk about and more as we talk about different episodes. But I love how they can bring in these uh, kind of obscure characters from the Marvel universe, like the Anomaly, like Super Adaptoid, uh, in really clever ways. And I think that the show does yeah. that really well. Oh yeah, um, and that was uh, yeah. But the Super Adaptoid is one of my favorites, and and oh man, that apartment. <laughs> Yeah, that, that apartment is something else, man. I, I, I felt so bad when he had brought the kids over and just wanted to show them a good weekend. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and speaking of which, that is episode three, uh, Beware from What Portal Comes. Uh, so this episode I thought was it started off really funny. We got – you were talking about you know random characters that come in. We get a dream of him riding Fin Fang Foom. Which I thought was cool. Which we saw Fing Fang Foom, uh, or uh, I think we saw him. I know we at least saw his name in the first episode because there was a restaurant called uh, Fin Fang Farm to Table, which I thought was, <laughs> was, was clever. I, I really like that. But then yeah, there's this. He has this dream. He's he's flying around on Fin Fang Foom uh, in his utopia that we do get to see at the end uh, of the series. It's definitely does. It's not as bright and shiny. As uh, he dreams that it is, which I think is uh, an interesting kind of dichotomy to what he he envisions and what actually uh, happens. Uh, so, yeah, this is the first time that the kids come over to his, uh, as I, I put in my notes, his shithole apartment, because that's a, exactly what it is. Um, there's a shot in this scene where the kids are there, where Lou is getting dragged away by rats through a hole. And I don't know why. But I had to pause it because I was laughing so hard. I don't know why it made me laugh so much, but it was it just I think it was Ben Schwartz's delivery of the you know, oh, it's okay, rat ladies. There's enough loo for everyone. It was fantastic. Let me hear you guys' thoughts on on, the, on this uh, the scene. Yeah, that was that was great. I. I... I kind of love how everybody just kind of lets Lou be Lou. Yeah. Uh, he's, just, he's just a weird kid. Yeah, that's just Lou. <laughs> and that was yep. like one of the first parts in the series where that kind of, where you see that side of the character. So yeah, yep. I, yeah I love that. 
Or like when he flips over in the to- on the toilet and he's like, the water comes out of it and everything. That's what Mikey's trying so hard to like the place. Yeah, because everything's a Murphy, even the toilet. It's like, All right. I loved it. What about you, Seth? <laughs> yeah, the the fact that he discovers that everything is a Murphy is just one of those fun things because he starts with the bed and he's just flipping stuff up and he's having a great time. And the thing I love about Lou is it's all about Lou. Like everything is this amazing discovery and he's the one who recognizes just how glorious and brilliant it all really is. Don't you see it? Don't you? Yeah. <laughs> I love that that feeling. Yeah, he's like the eternal where... optimist and I I love it. He's fantastic, man. And that's and why I think that. I think that's why I like both him and Gary so much because they are both very optimistic in a show that is led by very pessimistic characters. You know, I think they really of, stand uh, out. He reminds me of Gary from uh, Legends of Tomorrow, like completely. Mm, yeah. If he knocked off one of his arms, he would totally be Gary from Legends of Tomorrow. Like from the moment he was like such a suck up to Ava, and then he became like the apprentice to Constantine, and all these different, and he's constantly just looking for somebody to like love and admire. And that's mm-hmm. clearly who this Gary is. Like his boss, you know, is part of the reason his arm gets shot off. And, <laughs> and then he's still just like uh, and then Modoc uses his arm straps a bomb to it to blow up that giant rat creature that he creates yeah. this is like you're not getting that thing back nope not it's gone no. forever yep, yep. but he's so just like yeah so I stitched up my uniform I think it looks great who wants to you know woo-hoo. like I, I love that <laughs> yep. he's just and you know this through his voice because, yeah. again, Geeky Pursuit, you're not getting any of these like facial expressions, no. but you can feel that he's just like, woohoo, I love it. Murdoch yeah. is the best ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's such a good because it's all voice in, in this performance because you don't see, you know, there's zero facial expression. So it's not like the animators could really do a lot in that aspect. So he has to really portray that personality through the voice. And it's fantastic. I love it so much. Uh, then we uh, we get to go to a grumble business conference and a whole lot of stuff goes on at this. We get an appearance by uh, Iron Man or I should say his hologram, at least, uh, which I think is, I love that Iron Man pops in and out of the show. You know, it's, it's like it's like Iron Man is Modoc's like arch enemy here. But Iron Man probably doesn't give two shits about Modoc. Really? You know what I mean? Probably couldn't. I couldn't care less about this guy but he just keeps coming keeps coming back which i love uh we get to see a game of uh, what i call because i don't think they actually gave a name to it horse golf i still don't know what the hell they were doing in that game i mean they were horses were eating golf balls they were catapulting horses i don't know what was going on it was uh it was some weird shit happening but uh uh and then uh, we got to see the secret mites now i thought this okay, so right before this happened, I caught something on my second viewing. Modoc opens up his like tablet and he's trying to decide what world he's gonna, you know, open this portal up to. And he's scrolling through, and you see a scroll, and you see the watcher, and then you see the brood, and that's obviously what he what he lands on. I never I didn't notice that my first time through. I didn't notice the other the other two. Uh, I think there was a third one that I didn't know who it was, but uh, uh, I thought that was fantastic. Uh, what did you guys think of the, the kind of the lead up to the Seagramites and everything going on at this party? 
I felt kind of bad for him that he was kind of duped. Yeah. <clears throat> that, you know, and that's that's a clever thing the show does in a way like they had to figure out, okay, how are we going to make this character who is a supervillain, how are they going to make him likable but also relatable? And that was uh, that was a good way to kind of to do that in this episode. And I like the use of Iron Man in the show too. They don't use him too much. He just pops in and, and he's the only Avenger. So you don't see Captain America. You don't see just Iron yeah. Man. Which I yeah. think is a, a good touch uh, as well. But overall, yeah, I just felt really, I felt really bad for Modok being made such a fool, and I don't blame him for opening up a portal. But man, I would have, I would have liked to have seen the brood show up, just, just for a second. Yeah. What about you, Seth? I wish I was uh, able to recall more from that episode just of the moments leading up to it because his commentary each time he lands on them like i'm trying to remember what it he, was he said about the scroll like i feel like it was just kind of like a but i remember then he gets to the watcher he's like yeah no that guy's just creepy and he just, yeah. you know notices everything and i'm sure he tells her no move. you know what i mean like yeah, it was yeah. just this great little quick if you know who these characters are of course you know what he's talking about yeah and then yeah how you end up on the brood and he's like oh i like i like Daddy like, and then, <laughs> only to find out that no, no, that's not what he's gonna get. And instead, there's a reason why there's something more dangerous than the brood. It's true. Um, what did you guys think of the lead up with Melissa help, kind of helping out her dad, uh, trying to kind of like coaching? Because this happens a couple times throughout the, the series where she's kind of coaching him uh, in her ways as a teenager. You know, and in this aspect, it was uh, showing him how to essentially demoralize these executives so that they want to be with him. They want him to to be there. They want to be his friend and stuff like that. What did you think about that kind of dynamic between him and Melissa? I I enjoyed it. And she was kind of sticking up for her dad in that moment. So I, I, I like that because it showed that the family bonds as dysfunctional as they are, are, are pretty strong. And, and that just, and that made me like the Melissa character that much more. Yeah. Hey, what about you, Seth? I I thought it was such an interesting way to introduce their relationship, you know, because one, they start out with him just getting humiliated. And then you have this sort of like, okay, boomer tutorial from the newest (laughs) generation about, gaslighting about what it means to be set up to fail and how this is a corporate tactic that's been called out recently, you know, in a lot of different ways. And it's also a social tactic. And it's this idea of just, you know, like, oh, wow, I hope you didn't pay a lot for those clothes kind of an attitude, you know, and it's and they're setting him up for that failure of like, yeah, so, you know, you're giving the keynote address. I can't wait to hear what you're going to say. And then you get there and it's like, yeah, no, I'm giving the keynote address and I can't wait to hear what you have to say about what I have. To say. Yeah. <laughs> and it's constantly working. And and the interesting thing too, again, you, you got to love when it's really smart writing on a show like this is how they go ahead and take that and how Melissa can identify and use the scanning and teaches her dad how to identify mm-hmm. everybody else's insecurities. But then later when he turns it around and uses it on her yeah. and he's like, craves father's affection. 
hates this about herself. Yeah. And it really humbles him for a moment. Like you just get a chance to see like Modoc stop being the egomaniacal guy that he is and, and think about the fact that like, yeah, his daughter went to help him. And the reason she did is for something she doesn't like about herself as much as all the people he's been taking down. So it was really kind of important to establish also that element of their relationship. And as you said, she's going to help him, but it's also part of this problem in their relationship, yeah. something that, so I thought it was a, I thought it was a great scene. I, I love the lead up to it. I did feel bad for him, but I also like, I've worked for bosses like this, you know, like I remember getting called. You work for bosses who blow off their employees' arms. Okay. So I don't have video proof of that, but the stuff I did get proof of was enough to like, you know, guarantee me a get out of their job, you know, like get out of there and still get some deals. But, uh, it, it, it was the kind of stuff where like, I remember the, 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 uh, police got called cause we had a security alarm at the place. So I come down as one of the management, I'm checking it out. And I got there early and I said, Hey, let me unlock the, you know, turn off the alarm and let you guys in. And the first thing she says when she gets there is, I can't believe you would do something so stupid. And you're like, okay, so this is clearly an intention to, you know what I mean? Paint me in one picture. And as soon as yeah. I saw that happen to Modoc, I was like, been there. Oh, terrible memories. Oh, you poor guy. And you also know that they're just pushing his buttons because now that they've acquired him and they, you know, he's an employee, if they can get him to quickly become fireable, well, then they get to keep all of his stuff and get rid of him. <laughs> And, yeah. and just how, you know, how much he's being set up to fail. And eventually this is a whole maneuvering thing to, to get what he has and get rid of him. But it's clearly, as we learn, a much bigger story than that. It's not just about knocking down the guy who runs AIM or, well, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at one point we do find out that uh, Melissa has given herself an acronym even though she was apparently named after Melissa Etheridge, according to Modoc, she considers her name mental entity living to induce seriously sinister anarchy. And I got to say, I thought that was pretty clever. I really, I really like that. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to come up with one for my name. I, I had nothing. So I just have the letters there on the screen. I got nothing. I saw those periods. I was like, what happened? What, Josh, what did you do? What did you do, Josh? <laughs> You know, I had to. Uh, then we meet the Seagramites, uh, what I refer to as the party aliens. They look like little turtle lizard guys, and uh, they never stop partying until every living creature is dead. So what do you guys think of the Seagramites? I I love them. I, I As soon as I watched that episode, I had to uh, Google them and see their kind of version in the actual comics. And it goes back to what I was saying. Like, I love how they brought in these kind of obscure characters. And and these are another one that I hope become household names. I hope that they come back uh, next season. And, you know, they come back later on in this season, too. But I hope that we'll see more of them. Uh, I, I love them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Man, hedonism never looked so cute and sounded so adorable. Like, so come on! Yeah, I, I love the playfulness of it. It also very easily for me channeled that, you know, that Seth Green robot chicken-esque. Oh, you yeah. Know, sometimes when they've got that. Yeah, like it, it was it was like, oh, OK. So a little bit of that spirit is coming alive very well in this moment, like very vibrant. And, and I love that it was just like 
it was so in your face that you had to smile for a second and just sort of be like, who who just walks up to somebody and is like, let's get so drunk that our livers fall out. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they're just so ridiculous that you're like, ooh, it's like I remember this comedian. Uh I just remember like the ideas and examples of people partying too hard. And that was just like such a great moment when they did that. I absolutely love the Seagramites and you know, I, I I love the effect we saw them having on people because oh, yeah. they are infectious. Yeah. yeah. They're just like piling with? bodies up in the corner. People are just dropping like flies. I mean, they took out the brood for crying out loud. I mean, <laughs> these unassuming little turtle creatures, man, they're dangerous, definitely. And I love that Modoc was able to take everything that Melissa taught him earlier in the episode and use that to actually defeat them because like he couldn't just blast them because their shells were like impervious to his, to his, to his blast. So I, I thought that was a real nice way to kind of link it all back in throughout the episode. So uh, I really liked that. Um, and then Seth, you were uh, kind of hinting a little bit about some more nefarious stuff going on. We finally uh, get a little hint about what's going on and that uh, grumble is not all what it seems uh, something nefarious is definitely going on with the board there. Uh, we do later on find out what, but we'll get there when we get there. All right. So uh, we get into episode number four, uh, and that one is titled, If Saturday Be for the Boys. Now, this one I loved because we got to meet a whole cast of, of characters that uh, I, I just loved. Uh, many I had never heard of, uh, and uh, but I, I know them now, and I don't think I'll ever forget. So Modoc decides he wants to go to the Soho lair and uh, you know get his drink on. And this is where we actually get to see a couple of people uh, new to the show. The leader and Mr. Sinister are just randomly there, which I thought was great. Nice little appearance by them. Uh, then, uh, we get to meet Monica's daughter, Carmilla at one point, cause, uh, Lou winds up uh, going to the, to the teen zone, which he thinks apparently a Calzone for teens. See, and again, Lou, he's so, he's so awesome. You know, just like who would think that when you think the teen zone, Oh, Calzone for teens. Yeah. What? Love it. Love it. Uh, but then he, Modoc winds up going to, uh, uh, what I call a D list villain bar the bar with no name and meets up with uh, pound cakes, armadillo melter, angar and 10 pin. So guys, let me hear your thoughts on this uh, cavalcade of uh, interesting characters. Oh man. I, uh, I love them all. Uh, I, uh, I was familiar with armadillo and uh, the, the green um, tornado guy. But I had to look up Ten Pin and Angar. But Angar, he was just too cool to not have been in the comics. So I knew that that, was, <laughs> that, that wasn't a creation for the show. So I yeah. just had to like, uh, what his what his deal was. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely D-list villains for sure. I don't, I don't think we'll be seeing the uh, MCU version of Angar anytime soon. Probably not. So we, you know, we might get Sin Sang Foom and Sang Chu, but I don't think we're going to be getting Angar uh, in any movie coming up. So, but- I mean, I, I'd be down for that, but you know, 
So yeah, both oh. were, they were uh, great choices. Yeah. What you say? Man, I hope we get to have Fing Fang because that that whole like never ending story vibe from him flying on him was just pure yes. magic. It was. I absolutely love, but uh, yeah, the uh, the place you try to get into when you realize you're not cool is is difficult for anyone. Yeah. Been there. <laughs> Um, and I love the fact that, yeah, you've got, you know, the leader and Sinister just kind of like, no way, dude. No. We'll personally make sure you can't get it. <laughs> so then he ends up at the D-list one. And that reminds me of like back when uh, I was reading the Ultimates. And at one point they had, uh, what's his name, who is Ant-Man? Hank gets in trouble for, you know, getting into a domestic abuse situation with uh, Janet. And and he gets you know kicked out and he ends up with this like D list of superheroes. Do you remember? And like most of them are not that great. And like they go out on a mission and one of them's getting beat up by teenage kids and they're like really working him over with like crowbars and he's like, oh my god, I'm a human being. What are you doing? So like seeing these guys, I was like, oh, I have some ominous concerns about how this is going to end up because you know then we quickly like I bonded with armadillo man like as soon as we learned about his significant other and we can get to that in a second and, and the drama that that unfolds because of that yeah. and <laughs> the melter with the chicken and the pepto you're like okay <laughs> clock's ticking on this dude like i don't know if he's gonna make it to the next scene uh <laughs> i mean at, at one point he's like coughing up blood you see it all over the rag it's like damn man you know this guy's on the way out Melter, yeah. dude, the ulcer, it's melting yeah. you, brother. It's oh, melting yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this was such a great just, like, how how lowly. Mm. And I love that they're just giving him so much trash. Like, they're down there, and they're like, ah, oh, you can't get in. You suck. Modoc. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of love that when people are just like, hey, we might be here, but you suck right now. We're That's giving true. it to you. <laughs> what do you think, man? Yeah, man, I love these characters. Uh and there was one thing that I thought was actually hilarious. Uh, Pound Cakes, voiced by Whoopi Goldberg, which I thought was fantastic. I was like, really? Whoopi Goldberg's doing this D-list villain? All right. All right. You know, even Whoopi Goldberg needs a paycheck once in a while, you know. <laughs> uh, which I, I thought that was great. But uh, before we get to the armadillo uh, stuff, I want to talk about the scene before that where they go to the pawn shop. To get 10 pins, pins back. Let me know what you guys thought. Because this was hilarious. That pawn shop guy just chopping himself up on accident over and over again. Come on. It's good stuff. Yeah, that would be like, uh, I kind of like their reaction. Uh, we kind of got to get out of here. Because this guy's even too intense for us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would have been, been the same way. Like, all right. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, let's get out of here. Yeah. Yeah, Modoc's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't be messing around with that, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like first goes the tongue then he chops his fingers off then he chops his arm off and then he's like running around blood's going everywhere oh man Seth what'd you think I mean if it's me I'm like we gotta go this guy is about to commit suicide or it's gonna be accidental manslaughter and we're gonna be yeah. witnesses oh and by the way we're a cadre of criminals so this is a bad idea like yeah. all the way around all so I, I, <laughs> I dug that, you know, they come in and I love that they kind of get his pins because they're at a pawn 
<laughs> like not only is his character that lame, <laughs> but it's it's the reason that we go to the pawn shop is because he's like, yeah, I was gonna get him back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we end up there, and then, like you said, this is this is where we meet the pawn shop guy with the desire to die. Like he's committed yeah, to it, accidental, like has no concept. Like of you'd think, after cutting his tongue off, he would just stop right there, you know? Like, but nope, kept on going. Uh, uh, it's guess. like the American Dad with the dodo bird. Yeah. <laughs> he's like climbing into the blender, and you're like, yeah. hey, unplug it, <laughs> you know, knock this off. So yeah, I got a huge <laughs> kick out of just like that whole setup, and then what it leads to. Well, what did you think, man? Yeah, man, I love this scene so much. It was hilarious. Uh, one of my favorite of this episode. But yeah, it does lead to more because not only do we find ten pins pins, we find Armadillo's wife's wedding ring in a case and he just loses it and burrows his way out of there and takes off and they uh, they go and meet him at his ex-wife's house he is confronting her and she's not alone she has moved on with the mandrill and his giant dong guys what'd you think <laughs> oh man well, that's probably <laughs> the best version of mandrill that we've ever uh, ever seen so <laughs> take that for what it's, for what it's with his as uh, as it was quoted in the episode his world famous hog <laughs> I, I you know I, I would hate to have to be any marvel comic writer that has to use that character again on its so, good luck good luck oh my gosh that's great I want, I want, I want a reference to that to pop up in a in a Marvel book somewhere. I just, I need it to happen. It'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> I want him in his next scene in a Marvel book to be wearing a towel, and whoever's confronting him be like, "And keep an eye on that towel. I know what's under there." Uh, <laughs> yep. know, that kind of a thing. <laughs> but, but yeah, I also love the fact that at that moment, never have I been more thankful for the blurring censorship. <laughs> feature that is available to us because yeah. not only did I not want to see it, but at the same time, I love that I had to see the blurry version. <laughs> I I'll be honest. It's a weird thing to say, but I kind of love that it was red because it seemed <laughs> like that. It, it felt, it felt right. I don't know. You know what I mean? It okay. felt right. Not only did it feel right, but it like almost completely negated the blur. Like you, yes. you blur it there, but you're like, it's not helping enough. No. Just not oh, enough. Not I, I still see too much. I still yes. see. No, no, Way too no. Much. <laughs> Final thoughts from you, man. Yeah, man. It, I think you guys have summed up that. Uh, I just, it was, it was great. Both times I watched it, I, I, it's, I couldn't keep my eyes off it, man. That blur just, it, it, it was like, it drew you into it, man. It didn't, it didn't make it go away. It drew you into it. I don't know, but uh, no judgments, brother. Heart wants no. what it wants. That's true. It's true. <laughs> you know, you admit it. Be like, dude. I Speaking of it. the heart, seeing yeah. armadillo like this got uh, Modoc thinking about his own issues, which I liked. I like that it kind of spurned that or spawned that uh, that thought process in Modoc to really think about what he's been doing in his own relationship and where you know it could lead to if he doesn't do something uh, about that. 
Uh, so uh, speaking of Jody, we go uh, and we see Jody and Monica at AIM. Jody had gone there to try to get Modoc's help uh, because Lou had posted a video eating uh, 10 paydays, apparently the 10 payday challenge, uh, which I love payday bars, so I don't blame him. But apparently she lied in her book and said that uh, her son had a peanut allergy. So she needed to get this taken care of. Uh, so Jody and Monica, they're bonding. They're, you know, having some having some drinks. And, uh, you know, Jody decides or uh, Monica decides that uh, she can she can help. I love what she does to to help. I think it's hilarious. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, yeah, uh, this, this <laughs> kind of shows that Jody's not the moral center of, uh, of no. the show. Which was, which was interesting that she's got her own. Mm-hmm. Her own issues and her own sacrifices that she is willing to make. So yep. makes her not much better than she's a that. definitely a willing wife of a supervillain. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like Carmela Soprano was a knowing wife of a gangster. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you think, Seth? Yeah, and I loved that in both scenarios, whether it's Lou meeting Monica's daughter or no, wait, Monica. Um, yeah. Monica's art, yes. Yeah. So I, I love that they both meet, you know, members of Modoc's family, and they're like, I have questions. Yeah. <laughs> and in both scenarios, you get this feeling of like, okay, for the wife, why? And for the son, how do you survive? And how are you not, like, mad? Like, what's your technique? What's your secret? Um, so that was kind of a fun thing to just sort of get a feel for. And yeah, I, I do think Monica has, uh, well, she has some nefarious offers regarding help. And yes, Jody is very pliable when it comes to morality. And uh, just what exactly she's willing to do for it, that gets fun. That gets really oh, fun. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> the, the fact that she's willing to do what she does. I mean, I, I mean, we've been talking spoilers this whole time, so I'm not going to pussyfoot around it. She, uh, Monica gives Lou a peanut allergy and Jody's totally cool with it. She's like, all right, that works. You know, no big. I was like, wow. But Lou's down with it. Cause he's like, it make I'm complex now. <laughs> I, I get to carry an EpiPen around for a reason now. I guess that makes me feel a little bit less angry with Jody because we all knew that Lou would have been, oh, all right, that's cool. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Apparently, he's been carrying EpiPens around for no reason, and now he has a reason. So <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. Uh, then we get back to uh, the crew, and uh, they are you know, out on their mission, and they come up uh, across some, uh, some teens or young guys in a convertible, and I just had one note about this. These dudes randomly had a crossbow just right there. Blam. Crossbow. And I was just like, what? These guys, have, what world am I looking at right now? Which I thought was great. Um, and then eventually those guys come back and steal the super adaptoid when he's a van, which I thought was, which I thought was great because like they could have just been a one, you know, one time thing. They showed those guys and then they were gone, but they came back around and stole the fucking van. And I thought that was awesome. What'd you guys think about that? Yeah. Yeah. That was, 
the show is really good about using those kind of throwaway characters and bringing them back in bigger ways. Like Gary's a perfect example. Yeah. And Freddy's, they have very clever ways to use those secondary characters. And this is a perfect example. Yeah, absolutely. Those were the meanest teenagers when they're picking on what's his name, the driver, and they're like, "Oh, look at him! He looks all sad and old." <laughs> Poor like, Angar, oh. right? <laughs> oh, Angar! Yeah, yeah, there were there was just, and I love that the whole time that he's got his music playing on there. It's like an eight track. And he's like, "We're the hottest band in the '70s, man." They called us like, yeah, that, and and one of the things you realize makes Adaptoid just not quite the perfect uh, robot or even adaptoid is when the kids come to steal me. He's like, stay away. I've got this. I oh, I forgot to alarm. Oh. Right. It's like, <laughs> like he's got security. Can he not control the van himself? You know? Well, he can, if he thinks about it. And I think that's where we might see it. Like, honestly, it. what he probably could have done as those guys are in the van with him is just turn back into a humanoid figure and probably crushed them to death. You I know what I mean? That, like at least 10 times when he was stuck as people. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I was like, are we not allowed to see him change? Is there like a rule? Like he can only do it so often. Yeah. I don't know. Cause I mean, we see him change and like here occasionally, like uh, I think in the first episode, his head, they show his head turn into a blender. You know what I mean? Right. So like you see stuff, but I'm just like, dude, all you had to do is turn back into a humanoid and, or almost anything that's smaller than a person and would have crushed those guys to death, you know? And that's why I think it's this thing. I think there's a little bit of a, you know, crossed wires. Uh, I think he's been rebooted on. a few too many times. I think is what it is. Yeah, Agreed. I think that's what it is. Uh, so uh, the, the crew finds out that MODOK was using them. They get mad. They take off. We find out. They all wound up at Night Loaf. What'd you guys think of Night Loaf? I thought it was great. Late night meatloaf joint that's quote unquote all night, but it's really just gives you the meat power to go all night, as Angar says. But it is open during the werewolf hours during uh, a full moon, which I was like, all right, I want a restaurant like this. I think that in my younger days, after a night of drinking on my way home, I think my friends and I definitely would have had some night loaf at some. At some yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I would have got, definitely gone to night loaf. <laughs> What'd you think yeah. of, uh, of the guy that worked there too? The guy in the, like the, he's like in Renaissance gear, but it wasn't a Renaissance themed place. And apparently he killed three people while they were there. <laughs> Just like, okay. Uh, it was funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything about Night Loaf was perfect. And yes, it Brad, was. that that definitely would have been a late night stop off place for me. And I love that it was so mythic, you know. And uh, <laughs> and again, it reminded me of another another cartoon character who's like, "Man, I hope we got ham. I can really plow when I got ham." <laughs> I always love it when people are like, "Yeah, let me explain how food improves my sex drive." All right, <laughs> like. Please, please don't. Please don't. Yeah, no. <laughs> then the crew uh, d uh, tries to go and uh, steal Captain America's shield, but then they fall asleep on the train 
and decide they're just going to kind of go watch the sunrise on the beach. And we have a nice kind of touching moment between everybody. And then uh, the melter dies. Sad, sad time. You know, he, uh, he seemed like he was content. You could see it on his face. You know, he's like, he had like a, a, a great night, probably the best night he's had in years, you know, with all these people. And, uh, you know, what would you guys think of, of kind of this real short arc for Melter and, and how it all kind of came, came to pass? Uh, I, I thought it was perfect. <laughs> like you said, he had the best night he had in years and it kind of, sums up the night for all of them i think i think they all had the best night they had in years even though it didn't go as they planned but yeah i think that if everybody looks back on their own life they've had some of the best nights ever without it going by their plan at all yeah it's a way to go out yeah yeah i thought it was a nice sweet short arc we clearly saw the build up to that between the pepto and the blood on the rag and everything else so I think uh, going out after a great night on the beach, sunrise, yeah, you know, not bad. Not bad, yeah, Milton. Definitely. Well Good finish. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But that's not where the episode finishes because we uh, we go back to the super adaptoid and he gets taken by the anomaly. What is he going to do with him? guess we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> All right, so then we get into episode five. Halfway point. Well, you know, after we talk about it, it'll be the halfway point. This is If Bureaucracy Be Thy Death. All right. Starts off at Melter's funeral. Guys, tell me. Tell me your thoughts on Melter's funeral. Oh, kind of sad, but kind of uh, kind of fitting. Um, yeah, yeah I, I felt kind of bad for Melter. <clears throat> yeah. At his funeral. So. I mean, freaking Modoc just just keeps on making it, making things worse over and over again. <laughs> what about you, Seth? Yeah, there's a right way and a wrong way to not only enter a wedding or a funeral, but attend one. And Modoc does all of it wrong, like the whole yeah. way through. Like, where's the family side? Because I met this guy last night, so I'm family. <laughs> and just from there, he's just sticking the foot in the mouth and proceeding to the kneecap and continuing as far as <laughs> he's just blowing it, man. Like it, it's impressive. It's impressive just how bad he is. And, and also, um, you know, that rule about muting your phone, like turning <laughs> off the ringer. Yeah. He needs to pay attention to that one because it became quite the issue when he was, uh, selling things on eBay. Yeah. And he's like, this, this is just what happens when, uh, someone sends me money through Venmo. Oh, I just sold a couch. <laughs> so yep. self-aware yeah, yeah. completely and, 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 and perfectly <laughs> spells out world conqueror like that's yeah. what you do when you <laughs> true it's true uh I, I i felt this scene was like a a nice little cold open for this episode because after this scene everything else is just different it has nothing to do with that and we go into this arc of modok wanting to kill uh iron man with a with a black hole gun and uh, it, it it leads to a line that I absolutely adored because I love this song where he's like, black hole gun. He, uh, won't you come? Won't you come? Referencing the song, Black Hole Sun. And I was like, 
Oh, that's clever right there, guys. That's some clever writing. I absolutely love that. But uh, yeah, so uh, Modok wants to kill Iron Man. Of course, Iron Man. Here he is again. I mean, you know, being referenced here. Uh, that's Modok's arch rival, apparently. Uh, it's not Iron Man's arch rival, but it's definitely Modok's uh, at this uh, stage in the game. And we get to see uh, some flashbacks uh, on how Monica got her way to aim, which I thought was really cool. And uh, we eventually get a, a, an interesting scene later on where she uh, kills an Avenger. And I want to talk to you guys about this because I was reading uh, something on it. It's They don't say who this Avenger is. They just kind of like, you know, it, it's it's a big Avenger. If, if, you, uh, if you had uh, a franchise, it, it would be a big deal. But this Avenger is wearing a red mask. So there's only a few that it could be. Uh, it's not Deadpool because he, he ain't going to die like that. Uh, I don't think it's Spider-Man because uh, they reference Spider-Man at, at, at other points in the show. The theory that I saw is that it's Daredevil. What do you guys think about that? I've not heard that theory, but I I like it. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, like it's it's a it's a character that it's big enough to make an impact, but not too big to have fans be like, you can't just kill that character off, you know. Yeah, it, he's kind of like we'll kind of go back to the Harley Quinn show when they killed off Penguin. He he's big enough, but not too big to where it's gonna throw a wrench in everything. Yeah, yeah. What'd you guys think? Yeah, I, I can buy that. See, you know, I I didn't even necessarily think too hard about who it could be because I thought maybe the writers were just kind of oh, it's a dead Avenger, not really needing to know who it was it's kind of like uh when everybody argues about what's in the briefcase in pulp fiction mm-hmm. where to me it, it, it never mattered what yeah. was it. it's just it was the MacGuffin. so to me i never really thought um about who it could be but that's a really good that's a really good theory and and uh yeah i might have to rewatch that episode um just to see if i get any other ideas who it might be, but I think Daredevil's definitely a lead contender. Well, you, Seth? That makes all the sense in the world. I did not even get the chance to pay, you know, I mentioned it before we hopped on, but between finishing the show and getting on with you guys, I had my second COVID vaccine, and I've been adorable ever since, especially <laughs> when it comes to, like, any sort of mental recall, or sometimes, like, especially in the first, like, 36 hours, like, speaking, I'd be like, I can't talk that like it was it was pathetic so me trying to uh recall i just remember that the big thing was that they wouldn't mention who it was but if he knew and and daredevil makes sense because he's disappeared once or twice and been assumed dead or you know there's been some you know mystery and he's also i'll say it he's a street level guy so it's not like you're gonna need him for the big cosmic stuff but he is the the heart you know um heart-wrenching, sort of like a guy who's always been down on his luck. Eventually, he's going to meet some sort of tragic end. So you can believe it, but I I did not go that far with it. So this theory was not even on my radar. Um, what did you think? You you buy it, Josh? I mean, I, yeah, I do. I, I, think, uh, I think that's who it is. Um, I also, it makes me wonder if it's their subtle way of kind of jabbing the Netflix daredevil because the shows died and he was, that, he was like the leader of that. 
you know what I mean? So, and because they talk about, you know, if you have a big franchise and all this stuff and you kill it off, or whatever, and they killed off all those shows. So it kind of it kind of makes me wonder if they're kind of like kind of throwing a little jab in there at uh, those Marvel Netflix shows because uh, I mean it's Netflix versus Hulu too. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's, it's just for me, it just works. And uh, in my own head canon, it's going to be Daredevil. <laughs> Anytime I watch it, that's that's uh, that's who it's going to be. Uh, so Modok convinces Monica to help him, or so he thinks, uh, to take down grumble or at least to take down uh austin and so she creates these uh silicone based copies uh of each of them to which how anybody could even be fooled at the slightest shows you how kind of inept uh all the workers at aim must be you know what i mean it's it's kind of ridiculous but uh it's hilarious uh and then when when these things like die they're all like, oh, I guess we'll have to report these employee deaths, you know, because it's just something that happens literally all the time. So they, you know, it's it's no big deal. But you would think, you know, if it's Modoc and Monica, you would think that would be a big deal. But yeah, it's whatever. It's just employee deaths. Doesn't really matter. Um, we also find out it's Gary's birthday today. Yeah, it's Gary's birthday. And there's some uh, something I noticed in that scene, which I thought was great. Uh, party hats on a bunch of dead manatees. I mean, got to liven it up, right, guys? Got to liven it up. What would you think about Gary's birthday happening in this? I mean, they're, they're really giving us, giving us some Gary love throughout this show. Yeah, I kind of like that they gave him a party. Yeah. Bad losses on to the company. The least I can do is get him a cake. Right? Have a few <laughs> dead manatees around. <laughs> <laughs> what you said <laughs> uh this was just part of the the mad insanity they they can kind of continues along with this monica theme you know the fact that we start out with her and this is one of her pet projects which eventually becomes a point of contention with her in austin <laughs> and so the dead ones are are there as guests and and also just what you were pointing out about these uh replacements and and how I felt like it was a little bit of a jab at them, but a little jab at the rest of us. Like, come on, man. Like, you know, how much you really pay attention to the people you work around? Like, would you really notice? <laughs> Maybe, yeah, yeah. Could it be that such an ugly and unimpressive, <laughs> not even carbon facsimile is enough to get by you guys? Just think about it. Come on. Yeah. Did you look up from your phones long enough? Just check. Yeah. What do right? you think, man? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, I love, I just love how just, obviously fake these these things are they're melting like they're all one solid color and they're like odd colors and they're like melting and like throwing up silicon it's like silicone it's uh <laughs> it's ridiculous and i loved it all the way around i absolutely loved it um then we get to a scene of uh modok and monica hacking into uh, a computer and we get a great line here, a reference to one of my favorite movies. Uh, the line is, it's a Unix system. I know this. Do either of you know what movie this is from? Come on, Brad. You're the movie guy. Oh, oh you put me on the spot. <laughs> oh, man. I'm drawing a blank. It's from Jurassic Park. Oh, when okay. she goes in to hack the computer to lock the doors when the Raptors are trying to get into that one room. And she's like, it's a Unix system. I know this. And she's just doing her thing. Yeah, 
But I, because that's that's one of my favorite movies. And uh, as soon as he said that line, I was I was like jumping around, just like yeah. Now, <laughs> it was maybe fantastic. Would have gotten that had somebody after that said something like, "Oh, clever girl." But yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, man, see that would have been perfect if uh, it, I think that Monica should have called said clever girl to him because it would have been really funny for her to call him a, a clever girl. I think that would have actually been perfect. Missed opportunity there. But uh, later on, we uh, not too later on, but we find out that Monica actually betrays Modoc. Uh, she's actually been outside the whole time and uh, it was a silicon. Uh, base life form that was there with Modoc. Uh, uh, this is kind of where we find out about the whole her killing an Avenger thing, and he took the credit for it, and that's why she's mad about all of this uh, and just kind of trying to take him down because she knows that she's better than him in everywhere in every way. And we get an epic fight between the two of them, which I loved. However. I had seen this fight already, which I was a little sad about. It's the scene they showed at WonderCon during the Modoc panel. They showed this scene, most of the scene, not the entirety of it, but most of this fight scene. So when it happened, I was like, oh, this is that scene from WonderCon. And it winds up being like one of the best fights in the entire show. But I was a little bummed that it wasn't my first time seeing it. Um, but uh, what did you guys think of this of this fight scene? Uh, you know, I, I liked it. I'm glad that I did not see that WonderCon panel because I think I would agree with you. I think that that would have spoiled it for me. Uh, I think one thing I liked about it is that it seemed to go on forever. It yeah. was like um, going back to Daredevil with that whole fight in the hallway scene. Yeah. It seemed to go on forever. This fight seemed to just go on and on and on. So I can respect that in uh, in animation. Yeah. What about yourself? Such a great setup. Like you had the feeling, I mean, two things. One, there's a reason why they sort of left off with that flashback. You know, they sort of cut it abruptly. And I was like, well, you know, he's going to burn her at some point. Like, you know, there's a reason why there's such animosity. And it hadn't been established up till like we hadn't seen the, the final scene of that flashback. And then when we do... Not only do we have that, but I love the fact that he's tricked by the very same synthetic being that we were just teasing everybody else for not paying attention to. And it's yeah. like, what? You think you're paying attention? Modoc and viewer, you've been mm -hmm. watching this figure the whole time and you thought it was real. Like, you know what I mean? It was totally like, ah. Yep. So I got a huge kick out of that. And I also love just all the tools that come out. Like, these are two very clever, very uh, inventive and... Uh, Clearly, like they've thought of like the most criminal ways to kill somebody. <laughs> They're unleashing yeah. them on each other and they always have an attack and a counter. And it, it was it was pretty awesome. Yeah, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the hallway fight, Brad. Nice call there. Really enjoyed that. Um, reminded me of the Peter versus the giant chicken family guy one and, <laughs> and, and a few other like legendary where you're like, yeah, is this still going? It's still yep. going. Yeah, it, it definitely had a lot of fun in camp to it. So I, I loved it, and uh, I love the way it uh, sets up the ending of this episode and, and everything else. Like, it, it, it's a pivotal fight. It's got meaning. It's not just a, you know, puffing of the chest kind of thing. What do you think, yeah. Brad? Or, sorry, Josh. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's, it's, yeah, like I said before, it was a, it's a fantastic, it's probably the best fight scene uh, in the whole series, to be honest with you. Um, 
And I thought that it was a great kind of a way to, it's almost like, here's your mid season, you know, and we're kind of giving you the, it's not really a mid season finale, obviously, but it's like, here's this big thing that happens mid season. And then we're going to kind of go back down and kind of come back up. It was a nice, like little, little crested wave thing going on here for the show. Um, and uh, because of all of this, the board of directors names uh, Monica, the new scientist Supreme. Um, I didn't know this was a thing. I don't know if this is a thing in the comics, to be honest with you. I'm not as well-versed in, in the actual Marvel comics or not. Obviously I know the sorcerer Supreme, you know, but scientist Supreme, I, if it is a thing in the comics, I think that's kind of cool that there's both sides of that. You know, you got the magic and the science having uh, a Supreme for that. I think that's kind of neat. Uh, so then we get uh, a kind of defeated MODOK walking up on uh, Avengers Tower and uh, just trying to call out Iron Man. And he calls him a wet bitch, which I thought was great. <laughs> it's like, what is that even supposed to mean? And then he just sprays him in the face with water. You're a wet bitch. What would you guys think of this scene? <laughs> that was one of my favorite lines. <laughs> From uh, from the series, um, yeah. yeah, you know, you kind of felt sorry for it. I kind of got a, a the scene kind of reminded me of that line in Fight Club where uh, they say, you know, it's only when you I'm paraphrasing. Oh, it's only when you lose everything that you're free to gain everything. Uh, and that was, you know, you, you reach this breaking point where you just like give up. And it's kind of funny because a moment like that you don't usually see in cartoons. That's usually yeah. like live action drama. So seeing it in a cartoon was uh, pretty effective and they still made it funny. So uh, it showed the strength of the writing. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Seth? Yeah, everything, you know, taking us to that point was hilarious. I, I, <laughs> I, I love the idea. Um, about, you know, when someone is so broken and they're like going to that person who's already kicked their butt when they're at their prime. And they're like, come on, baby, mm -hmm. come on. <laughs> you're like, dude, go home. Clearly, clearly, like Iron Man's even like, you're clearly having a bad day. Uh, what's wrong? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I understand that you're upset, but I don't know why you're directing it at me and, and, and what's really going on here. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and, and and the fact that he's been so you know clearly betrayed and josh there was something you were saying earlier that i swear i was going to follow up on because it, it totally stuck with me and as i was giving my answer it was like slipped right out of the brain <laughs> and, and totally just gone um but remembering this scene for me was was just sort of really like yeah as you pointed out it was like this rare poignant moment and it was almost like the the dovetail to that big mid-season battle that we just had it was like okay we're not quite over yeah. yet let's go ahead and uh you know finish up with the final ultimate you can't even get your butt kicked by the guy that you're you know so angry at most of the time <laughs> yeah and and this scene for me really showcases what we've been talking about the whole this whole episode about how modok thinks of iron man as his rival and so he goes there, you know, he's defeated, but he still goes there, you know, and he wants to fight. But Iron Man just doesn't care about him. Like he has like just, he means nothing to, to Tony Stark, 
you know, and and it's really it's really showcased in this scene, in my opinion, quite a bit. So uh, I that's one of the reasons I really like this. And that yeah, Brad, that wet bitch uh, line is fantastic. <laughs> uh, then we finish up this episode uh, as it is revealed who the board of directors really are, and that is Hexus, the Living Corporation. Do you guys know anything about Hexus, the Living Corporation? I know that it's actually appeared in Marvel Comics. Yes. And I think it's an yeah. I, I, these days in our world, I think it's a pretty brilliant concept. Um, yeah. I, I, I kind of want to see it come back in a serious way. Yeah. I think these days I could be, you could do a lot with that. Dude, Hexus is a perfect uh, kind of analogy for Amazon right now. Like, come on, like it, it's perfect for that. Absolutely, uh, I think it would be. I think it would be actually uh, kind of awesome. Uh, Seth, what did you think of this reveal? Great reveal, so ominous and insidious, and and I love that they're of course the the figures behind Grumble, which is acquiring and you know owning everything and everything's great according to austin and you know it's perfect and super (laughs) no actually it's not it's run by this evil entity that i knew nothing about beforehand but yeah i could definitely see that being such a perfect way to create a villain in a live action setting and in a serious tone that's just like Wait a minute, aren't you guys those guys from that, you know, kid show or that, you know, kind of play show? And it's like, yeah, isn't it great when you make people underestimate you by making yourself seem funny? You know what yeah. I mean? Like it would just be such a perfect way to, to play yeah. off of that. But they they are uh, a lot of fun. Like you, you knew something was ominous by the way they're always presented early on. But now when you see that there's a reason behind that ominous, well, <laughs> it's a dangerous thing you're dealing with. Let, let me ask you Guys, question: When they first show up, and they're like these black, blobulous things, what did you first think they were? Uh, do you mean when we actually saw that they were the blob? Yeah, before. Kind of yeah, before before they were named, like they they appeared, but we didn't know what they were called, and then they I were named Hexus. Yeah, I figured they were either aliens or some kind of AI. Okay. Anything uh, anything uh, interesting for me, sir? <laughs> the only thing that would have crossed my mind at that time, like thinking about what I would compare them to, is for some reason I would have wanted to associate them probably with the Supreme Intelligence. That would make the most sense for them to be like an extension of the Supreme Intelligence in some way. In fact, yeah. I would almost want it to be where you see those three and you think that that's all there is. And then later with the big reveal, it's all, you know, because you know, Supreme Intelligence can present itself in so many different ways, has all these, you know, I mean, however many people whose intelligence is now masked in that and, and how they would present. So I thought it was just kind of some kind of extension of that, you know, or some creature similar to that, you know, basically something that has intelligence but isn't human-like but can create a humanoid, you know, yeah. uh, presentation to interact with that was my best guess uh hexis to me is still just kind of like it's the bad guy of modok that's my knowledge <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. i get that um for me because again i'm not as super versed on like especially the kind of deeper cuts of marvel like that like a hexis 
Um, did you guys watch Agents of Shield? Okay, so you remember the Dark Hold and how it was like that black kind of always moving whatever. That's what I thought it was like. I thought it was like, is this something to do with like the dark hold? Like that's all I could think of because that's the thing that would pop into my head from the, just the visual of what they looked like. Obviously it's not what it was, but uh, that was what popped into my head uh, when I first saw them. You know, it's interesting too. You just reminded me, remember I said I had that thought and I lost it. When you were asking about the scientist Supreme, I actually do remember that it was about a year and a year and a half ago. I got into, um, shield and i went back and read the first issue found it online read the first issue and read actually or no it was maybe it was a comicsology thing but i ended up reading like the first 30 or 40 of those and it was all about how how fury becomes um you know transitions from being you know a soldier to becoming this man of mystery and, and all of the different things and the funny thing is the first uh scientist supreme was actually like this guy who was like a, a mild-mannered typical guy who had like a regular job but then when he would show up to aim he would put on this outfit that like had you know height elevating boots and changed his voice and of course he's behind the thing so you can't actually see who he is and that was the scientist supreme and there's this really weird kind of hilarious calamitous way that he gets off and then somebody else fills his shoes and it becomes oh. this rotating position at aim and that was my first like awareness of. But I remember when you were talking about the dark hole, I was like, "Oh, that's right, Shield. That's right." It was that was my first awareness of Scientist Supreme. What, what was supposed to be like the introduction to AIM and, and how they're initially presented to Fury as as part of his indoctrination into Shield and and how he becomes a part of it. So I I, I have these limited deep cuts, and that's the one I can share. <laughs> hey. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. So we're going to get into episode six, Tales from the Great Bar Mitzvah War. This uh, this is a fun episode. We get to travel to Asgard, which is uh, pretty cool. Uh, episode starts off with a pretty, pretty sweet, gory scene on Asgard as uh, Modok is just dumping random shit down a, a trash portal. And uh, I, don't, I don't even know what he threw. Was it like a air conditioner or something he threw something big down into uh, the portal and just like destroyed some people which i thought was uh, I'm pretty uh, sure it was a copy machine and that it landed on the guy's head and it was like trying to suck it in but shredding it in the process <laughs> yeah so uh it's good stuff there good stuff uh, and uh we get to see moda he's just like tossing like i said random trash down this he has a, a trash portal and a stomach portal which i thought was interesting because it's quicker to just pour you know dump stuff into his stomach portal than actually eating and then he decides to pour a whole gallon of milk into his stomach portal and if anybody's ever tried that it doesn't work too well to uh drink a whole gallon of milk and we see that it makes him throw up and then gary throws up in his stomach portal and I tell me what you guys thought of that whole opening scene. Oh man, uh, brilliant, brilliant stomach yeah. portals. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I was just kind of like, oh man, that that is some imagination right there. <laughs> what I love about it is like, even like I know I had this reaction. Modok had this reaction. He, they were, we we're all like, oh no, Gary, but Gary's got a big helmet on. Realistically, he he's just puking in on himself. Right. You know, but 
for the sake of the show, that's not what's happening. <laughs> the beauty of cartoons. <laughs> yep. Gotta love it. It's just like later on when uh, when Gary kisses his his partner, we we, we meet Gary's partner and he but they kiss through like through the mat like he doesn't take his helmet off he never takes his his helmet off even when he takes his shirt off he never takes his helmet off which I think is hilarious. <laughs> Seth, what'd you think? Everything about that uh, visit to Asgard kicks off so well with that opening scene with the stomach, with the milk. And I love that he's <laughs> pouring the milk in the stomach while eating something else in the process. Like, yeah, yeah. Know, it's like, he's like, yeah, this way I can fill my stomach with stuff I don't care about eating and enjoy the sensory bubble. And you're just like, oh, you kidding me. And then he vomits on Gary who vomits in his stomach. But, but I love that we're introduced to Asgard in this way, of which, of course, Modok would create a portal to Asgard, not care where it's going to or what happens when he throws things in it and just start turning into a giant like mess. And- it reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you guys watch Teen Titans Go at all, but there's uh, an episode where Raven creates a portal, a trash portal <laughs> to like just some random open, do- she opens up some random dimension and it's just, that's where they throw all their garbage and they wind up like sticking Terra in the trash portal at one point. But that's just what it reminded me of. I thought that was I thought that was uh, uh, pretty, pretty funny. So. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I love that it played off of the uh, Thor 2, you know, the concept of the portals that they discover <laughs> and, and how it is that they can transport. And this felt like just sort of, hey, remember that? Okay, now it's MODOK style. Yeah. Uh, and uh, speaking of these portals, Lou, we, we find out he's, uh, you know, preparing for his bar mitzvah. He loves to do magic. Modok's not okay with that. And while, you know, they're kind of going through all this stuff, Lou falls into said trash portal and winds up down in Asgard. Modok follows him down there. Uh, and Lou is taken by some kobolds. So uh, what'd you guys think about this? I felt like finally Lou's getting some vindication uh, when he kind of gets accepted. Uh, and I was kind of like, oh, come on, Modok, give him a chance. You know, let him have his magic. What's the, you know, why not? What's the big idea? I mean, unless, you know, it's a whole science first magic thing. and He's all about science. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was like, oh, come on, Modok. You don't have to hate the magic so much. Let the kid have his moment. Right. I mean, he does, he does kind of like, you know, he, he breaks down and tells him, you know, the reasons why. But, yeah, let the kid have his magic, man. He's dealing with enough. What about you, Seth? It was such a great, you know, transition for him to fall in. And of course, the the contention is about the magic, which I think is awesome. And and I love the fact that it's probably because MODOK is like, yeah, but it's not cool. And you're like looking at MODOK like, dude, when were you ever cool? Like, come on now. Like, exactly. (laughs) Quit trying to put on your kid thing that you could never achieve for yourself. Like, don't live through his life. And uh, I also love that as soon as he arrives... (laughs) <laughs> on Asgard, and he's like, "Oh my God, all of you beautiful men! Oh my God, <laughs> he's just Adonis is everywhere." Ah, oh, like, he's just wow, that's amazing. So, do any of you have like body fat? Like, there's some question he asked me. Like, no, of yeah. Course not. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I'll stop asking you how much uh, body fat you have, but it's zero, right? Isn't it? It's zero. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you got to tell me. <laughs> yeah, I love. I love that, uh, like you were saying, Brad, that you know, he gets accepted by these kobolds. 
You know, he's, you know, we wind up seeing him at their like encampment or whatever, and he's just performing magic for them. And they're having a blast watching. They have no idea what he's doing and they're having a blast watching him. And he, you know, we get to see Lou in his element, just really doing what he loves to do. And I, I thought that was great, you know, and you know, for us, for a quick second, you think Modoc's really going to accept that, but he does not. <laughs> Nope, not not so much. And uh, he he enlists in Engar- as guardian army to to fight these kobolds and, and kind of bring back Lou for him. That doesn't work out as, as so well. Uh, we get a we get a scene with a tank and some goats. The goats were hilarious, by the way. I love the the the, the screaming goats, the fainting goats. Yeah, the goats were amazing. <laughs> I love that the They're tank right. was like powered by the goats. Though, yeah. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Asgard has all this technology and 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 whatnot. Yet their tank is powered by goats. Like, come on, guys, what are, what are you doing here? And he, <laughs> he wants to choose the flying goats, but but does it? <laughs> yep. He's like, should I swap them out? No, you know, I, I gotta stick with these ones, and then they fly off. He's like, damn it. <laughs> oh man, that was good stuff. Um, so, so Modok finally tells Lou that he doesn't want him doing magic because he's afraid that he'll, he'll be made fun of like Modok was when he was, he was a kid. He's, he doesn't want him to, to have that experience, which I get, you know, as a father myself, like, I don't want that for, for my kid, you know, but you still gotta, you gotta let them be them. You know, you gotta let them have their individuality and, uh, and do the things that they love. I mean, especially when it's not hurting anybody you know because otherwise you're just going to stifle any sort of creativity that they have and i thought like him seeing him perform in front of this audience that truly loved him would have changed his mind yeah exactly yeah uh and then we find out from the rabbi later on that this divorce is really affecting lou and it kind of hits modok because modok was starting to come around to it toward the end until he talked to the rabbi and that's when he really shoots down the magic thing because he was getting ready. He he was he was fighting for him, you know. He he was ready to let him do the magic at at the at the bar mitzvah, and uh, then he and he changes his tune, which is which uh, I was real disappointed about. But uh, I I mean I understood story wise why they why they went that route. Um, but hey, they did get to keep the goats, so I'm just saying they got to keep the goats. Uh, and then we finish off the episode. Super Adaptoid betrays Modok and teams up with the Anomaly. Uh, would you get some quick thoughts on uh, what you thought about that in the uh, episode overall? I, I wouldn't blame him for betraying Modok. The whole family tra- treated him like garbage. So boy, <laughs> yeah. forget that loyalty. I would have I done yeah. the same thing if I were him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we find out later on that apparently it happens all the time. And they just reboot him every time. <laughs> it's nothing new, <laughs> which I think is great. Uh, Seth, what about you? I definitely felt like this was some comparison to defragmenting your hard drive, which was like the biggest craze for the longest time. It was like the yeah. thing you had to set at midnight because it would take six hours. And yeah. but if you didn't, your computer would start acting funny. And like you know, it just so happens that the anomaly shows up right around the time that Adaptoid should have been, you know, restarted, rebooted. And because yeah. he wasn't, well, he's just clearly susceptible. And uh, yeah, he's going to betray. Plus, as you guys pointed out, it's not like he was well-beloved. He was, in their eyes, the talking blender and not even good at that. 
<laughs> I'd go yeah. somewhere else too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. So we're going to hop into episode seven, this man, this makeover. And we start off the episode meeting wonder man voiced by none other than Nathan Fillion, which I loved. Uh, and uh, we find out Jody is dating wonder man. What'd you guys think about that? I love uh, them, including Wonder Man. Uh, he's like the douchiest of the douchey Marvel characters. So perfect, perfect use of yeah. the character and perfect choice for voice actor. So yeah, um, Fillion agreed to do it. So the whole thing was, again, perfection. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Seth? He and the best part was it felt like he was totally channeling his character from uh, Doctor Horrible way yes. back when they we were doing that you know musical with him and like uh, Captain Hammer or something like that yeah or just exactly. the hammer something like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I, I felt like he was really playing that up and I love that we already get a sense that, that this guy is a hero because he's got powers but the first heroic act we see him doing is um, assaulting a homeless person who he claims is a villain because his tent is ruining the attempt at beautifying that area. And now he's going to trash his tent, beat up a homeless guy. And you're like, so at what point is any of this defined as hero? And you know, it kind of reminds me of peacemaker. You know, he's like, yeah. I will have peace no matter how many men, women, or children People I have I to kill, kill for it. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what it makes me kind of what it makes me think of. <laughs> which I yeah, think is great. So that like, you know, just totally unaware arrogance that Fillion brings in and, and just brings Wonder Man to life with the worst personality and characteristics you would want in a hero. Yeah. And of course, that's the guy that your ex is gonna hook up with. Like that's just the way it goes, man. Like Yeah. We all yep. know this, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, it kind of sends Modoc down a spiral. He uh, decides to self-destruct himself, and uh, I kind of loved his self-destruct mode. It's just a big bubble that goes around him, and then it fills with water. <laughs> it's like one of the worst ways to kill yourself. You know, it's like you're just going to drown yourself in this bubble. When there are, I'm sure you could just literally explode yourself or do any number of things that would be way quicker, way less painful. But, and then Melissa, they, they show Melissa's too. And she has one and it's the pillow, the arm of the pillow that just smothers her face. I'm just like, this, that's a little dark, but I like it. I like it a lot. What'd you guys think of that? <laughs> Some reason, uh, the pillow thing seemed perfect for Melissa, where it's not real self-destruct. It's more of a cry for help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah, I love that. <laughs> what do you think, Seth? Yeah. I mean, the first thing that came to mind with Modoc's self-destruct was, it was like, wow, how low tech can you get for a supposed, you know? <laughs> and it's like a shower head, you know, like, like the bubble. And then it's like a, like a shower head and it's just filling it. Shh. Like, Seriously, wow. like, did you get Doctor Evil's contractor? Like, what are you, what, what were you thinking? Like, what's the problem? Here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, then we get uh, like an '80s style makeover montage. Him and uh, Modok and Melissa go to the mall and uh, try to get him made up a bit differently so that he could uh, impress impress Jody. And uh, I thought that was great. What do you guys think of this this montage? I'm a big fan of those old 80s movies, you know, so 
See, that that's classic for me. Every series that deals with the '80s has to have a fashion montage. That's just yeah. an unwritten rule. Uh, just look at Wonder Woman '84 as yeah. uh, as an example. So, and speaking yeah. of fashion, we're gonna make this the crossover. Feliki Fashions over here, <laughs> bam. Check out DCComicsNews.com for all the Feliki fashions. It's coming. <laughs> but, you know, I, I got to say that they, they chose the best outfit. So that's that's my Feliki fashions two cents on uh, on that. You'll just have to watch the montage uh, for yourself to see if I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Seth? Can't buy me love. Like that was the first thing that came to yes. mind, you know, Love just that, that really so classic eighties movement, you know, where you're just like, yep, there, here comes the montage. We'll do the credit cards and the, you know, the, the register. And <laughs> I, I love the feel of it all. And uh, yeah, man, it was great vibe. <laughs> they did a nice job. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love that uh, when Modoc shows up at the party, I don't know what exactly they are, but he's got like fake butt. He's got like a fake butt going on. You know, I don't know. Uh, he says it's made from real people. I don't know what he did for, to get this fake butt, but it was, it was kind of awesome. Uh, I, I absolutely love that. Um, <laughs> then uh, another thing I thought was kind of interesting. We talk a lot about like little throwouts that they do in this series. And uh, Wonder Man has a Wakandan tattoo randomly which i thought was cool because we hadn't had any i don't think we would had any references to wakanda yet to black panther or anything yet i didn't notice uh, i didn't notice that it was, uh, yeah yeah he yeah. like i think it's like on his side he pulls up and he says i don't remember what he says it means but he's like this means something something in wakandan and it's and it's the tattoo and i'm just like oh that's cool because like again i don't think i think that's the only wakanda slash black panther reference that we even get in this series, but I'm glad that we got the reference in it. So, um, yeah. Uh, so let me know uh, what your thoughts were on this whole party scene that happened. You know, we got Modoc showing up. Uh, he's trying to get Jody to, to, to get Jody back to show that he can, you know, be that sophisticated kind of guy uh, like Wonder Man. And uh, a lot of stuff just does not go right here. So, uh, Brad, what, uh, what did you think? Yeah, it's one of those things, again, where uh, <clears throat> you wanted to see him succeed, but you kind of knew that it was just going to be a whole nother big disaster. Yeah. And at heart, you know that it's kind of one of those things, you know that they're supposed to be together. And yeah. you know they will be, but you know that this is kind of going to be another another roadblock. So I was not expecting that party to go well, even if you yeah. tried to turn over a new leaf and try something new. Yeah. And I love how both Modoc and Wonder Man are like egging each other on, like, you know, to, to hit them. Like they're not going to throw the first punch because they don't want to be the one that ruins the party. You know, they want it to be the other guy. Uh, so Seth, what did you think about all uh, of that, that party scene? All of it was so good. Yeah. I remember the Wakandan tattoo where he's like, yeah, this means like purity or strength or, you know what I mean? Like, and you're like, yeah. sure. <laughs> it, and it also, it reminds me of like people who get like those like Chinese tattoos and they have no idea what it means. It's probably means like California roll and you think it means peace, you know, peace and love. And that's kind of what it, it also made me think of like, who knows what that actually says? 
You know, if it's if somebody from Wakanda tattooed him, they probably put something like obscene uh, uh, on him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I loved all of that. I also love the fact that when we finally get the chance to, uh, you know, see what the result. OK, well, for starters, anybody who's seen an 80s movie knows that the fashion montage never works it's true you dress the guy up in the new stuff but it's always about the character later and that's where he's got to prove himself so yeah of course i knew this was going to fall apart i had to it's the way it works the other thing that caught my attention was we didn't get to see him get his collagen <clears throat> injections that change the shape of his face yeah. and that are grouping at times mm -hmm. so he looks like he's been in mike Tyson's the, punch the out. collagen spiders that just come out and then just run off <laughs> into the crowd. They're more afraid of you than you are of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was so great. that the you know the stapled on, but the uh, mm -hmm. the egging on of each other, and, and the awareness that there's also just like we've learned about what's going on at Grumble, there's also someone pulling the strings as the puppet master behind this one too. Which that That's for true. me was where the real gold was. Yes. I love how in this show we've got these different villain like these different villain arcs happening at the same time. We've got uh Hexus and, and, and the Grumble thing going on, then we've got the anomaly doing his thing, you know. So like and they kind of go back and forth. Because like there there's a stretch of like two or three episodes where the he where Hexus isn't even talked about, or Grumble in general isn't even talked about. You know, which I thought was really interesting because it's still a really integral part of what's going on in the show. But yeah, all of this, you know, uh, stuff that's going on is uh, the anomalies plan, you know, uh, making all this stuff happen, which I think was great. And it shows just how much foresight Modoc has as a villain when he's not as distracted and, and everything as he has been in current times. You know, that young version of himself has all that drive still and is willing to, to go the distance to do this, to, to take over, you know, it's something that he doesn't have anymore, you know, and that's what he's trying to trying to show him. And then we find out there's somebody else involved here, and that is Arcade, which I thought was interesting because I Arcade is one of those characters that I knew some stuff about, uh, like the, the main thing I knew is that he's attached to Murder World. So as soon as he pops up, I'm like, I want them to bring in Murder World. And sure enough, we get some Murder World in the next episode here. Episode 8, Oh, We're Blood Thicker Than Robot Juice. These titles, man, I gotta say. It's just good stuff, good stuff. Uh, we start this episode, because at the end... We see that uh, end of the previous episode. We see that uh, Jody and Modok seem to be maybe getting back together. You know something's happening there, uh, and so we start off episode eight. Modok not in his chair anymore, which we only saw the one time when he was young, and in bed with Jody. Which I was like, this is weird to see, because like I don't think before the show I had ever seen Modok outside of his chair, like. Again, I didn't read a ton of the Marvel comics and stuff like that, so maybe it's happened in the comics. But you never see images of Modok outside of the chair. It's always that him in the chair. That's the the image of Modok that you always see. So seeing him as a kid was okay. So that he's growing up, he hasn't gotten into the chair yet. 
but once he was in the chair, I never thought we'd see him outside of it. And then we did. So uh, I wanted to get your guys' quick thoughts on that. Yeah, I don't remember <laughs> seeing him outside of the chair in comics really either. Um, but it was kind of in a way touching. And uh, I think <laughs> in ways people are kind of wondering, how does that work? And we get a little bit of that idea. Not, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it kind of helped uh, – you know our own curiosity. i'm sure his hog's not as world famous right. you know as uh, mandrills but you know <laughs> it gets the job done <laughs> we can't all be mandrill right it's true it's true <laughs> it's true <laughs> so uh we we find out that uh a lot of stuff goes on at the beginning of this episode um it seems like his family is like forgiven him for everything and they're like just it's like the the picture perfect family that he's always wanted and fairly quickly we discover that this is not his real family uh he has that they have been kidnapped by the anomaly uh and that modok at least we think is either oblivious or in denial to everything that's going on um i don't know at what point uh he switches out because we find out that at some point he is a robot himself, like in, in what they're watching. Cause he's off to save them. But later on, they talk about how Jody talks about how she had to watch him, you know, bang a robot. And he, he never says like, that wasn't me. You know what I mean? So I don't know if it was a robot the whole time or not, but either way, I think that even if it it's, if it is Modoc for a lot of it, I 100% believe that he would be a, that oblivious to the fact that his and, and in denial to the fact that that's not actually uh, his family. Um, what did you guys think of uh, the anomaly's plan and, and these robot copies and all this? Yeah, I mean that seemed reasonable. I guess <laughs> that it might work using yeah. kind of his own weaknesses <clears throat> against him because, like you said, he's oblivious to it. So. And the anomaly knew he would be. So as far as that goes, I think it's a pretty, uh, pretty good plan. Yeah. What about you, Seth? Just got to love the confusion of it all. You know, the whole yeah. idea of like, you know, give him what he wants and keep him, you know, oblivious. And then when he's, you know, vulnerable, weaknesses, defenses are down, then you attack, you know, then yeah. you have your opportunity to strike. So Seems like a uh, textbook, you know, nefarious villain plan. Yep. And then, uh, then you know, the family escapes from the room, and they're running, and then the screen suddenly splits to three, and then we find out there are three sets of families, and they have created robots for each of them and kept them separate. This is one uh, intricate plan. And then they all wind up together, and they are in murder world what did you guys think about the reveal of murder world and also alan tudyk voicing arcade i had to put that in there yeah is there anything alan tudyk can't do nope he's just he's just great uh i always like the concept of murder world and arcade in the comics um uh i always thought he was a good x-men villain so it was kind of cool to see him show up in this and i think he's kind of on that same level of 
familiarity with readers as Modon. Mm. So that's in a way that I thought that kind of worked too. Yeah. And I, I thought the plan was pretty ingenious as far as Myrtle World goes. It's like kind of watching a Saw movie thing in which the most brilliant trap. And yeah. That would have been, been, been it. So yeah, it was a pretty cool concept. Love the concept, love the confusion. And I love how what should have been like something that eliminated everybody just quickly through happenstance and luck becomes like so easy to, to start figuring out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh it's it, the the only thing I think that uh I had issue with with the whole murder world thing is I mean, it's only what, twenty-four minute episode. Everything that happens on Mur- in Murder World happens so quick. Like they essentially discover who pretty much all the robots are really fast. Most of it by accident, but still really fast. Um, you know, where <laughs> whether it's Lou just murdering another Lou because he's he's sure, but then after he does it, he's like unsure, and luckily it winds up being one of the robots. But uh, yeah, I, I just it. I wish it had kind of been a bit more drawn out. I don't know. They would have had to obviously cut other stuff out of the episode to do that. But uh, I don't know if you guys felt the same way at all. But, uh, yeah, I kind of wish it had been a bit more drawn out. Uh, You know, yeah, maybe, now that you say that. Um, But, you know, overall, I think the pacing of the series is pretty good. Yeah. So that they didn't really bother me too much. Yeah, I think this um, is the only spot where I've have felt where I felt that, you know, at all throughout the whole show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have thought maybe more, but it was kind of funny how I mean the humor was so much more uh, effective when it was just kind of like what, what, and it, it's all just solved so quickly and, and through yeah. just a, a lot of luck, and, and you just sort of feel like all right, that was convenient. We must be like using this for another purpose. So that was sort of a fun feeling. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, then uh, we see uh, Jody just rips Modoc in half, kind of like uh, Steve Rogers ripping a log in half. It, it, you know, so uh, and I, <laughs> I want to know what you guys thought of her be first of being able to do that, and just her willingness to just destroy him like that. You know, if I was the real Modoc, I would have taken notes and like, okay, never piss her off. Ever. Right? <laughs> and thank God it was the real Yeah. Like she was not, uh, I, I didn't think she would be able to do that. Like just the fact that she was able to just straight up rip him in half was just awesome. Like the gore in this show is fantastic. Yeah, I like when Melissa was, oh, there's a lot of real stuff in here. Oh, oh, here's the microchip. Thank God. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think the key for me is that she did that all with Pilates strength. That was the reason. Pilates yeah. strength. I personally believe she'd always been wanting to do that, and that was her perfect excuse to give it a shot, see if it works. And she got lucky. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so, like, at this point, you know, because – we don't know about um, the anomaly yet. We just think it's past Modoc, and she just destroyed past Modoc. And my first thought was, how effed is the timeline now? Because what's going to happen if he's dead? You know, if he is the past, we don't know that it's uh, you know he's this anomaly outside of the time stream and all this other stuff, and that none of that ever actually happened. 
But did you guys have that thought after it happened? You know, I did not. Um, you know, it's kind of funny, like uh, people who don't read comics and when people who do read comics take something like that really seriously, people who don't read comics are like, it's just a comic. It's just a story. Of course, it's silly. Who cares? That's kind of how I, I'm willing to give that kind of um, uh, space for a cartoon to work where I don't where, yeah. where it all doesn't have to make sense, you know, because um, I think that that's one thing about the medium that you can do those types of you can have that type of storytelling. So it didn't really it didn't really bother me. I love that. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like most of the time uh, I can give leeway there. But they made sure to explain all of it, you know, by yeah, the end of the series, yeah, which I point. thought was fantastic because it didn't leave any of those kind of plot holes uh, for all the time travel stuff. It actually yeah, they, they did take made the time it travel sense. seriously. Yeah, yeah. What'd you think, Seth? Yeah, I thought they would have made it, you know, seem just like a comedic throwaway. But instead, they eventually came back around and gave it a greater relevance that it didn't feel in the episode at the time. And that was yeah. a really cool sort of like misdirection for us as a viewer. Yeah, yeah. that was really smart. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to hop into uh, the penultimate episode, episode number nine. What menace doth the mailman deliver? All right. So this is the first episode in like, I think, three that they mentioned grumble like it has, it's all been all about uh past modok and what he's doing and all this other stuff and we haven't had anything from grumble or uh, uh hexis or any of that stuff in the last few episodes um and so we finally get that but then we get some suspicious behavior from modok he's acting real nice he's doing his job he's the mailman you know he's uh he's taking it seriously and he's He's happy to do it. Uh, and I love Gary here because he's like, he's so worried because like he thinks he lost the cart, the mail cart, and he thinks Modoc's going to like kill him because of it. And just Modoc's got the cart and he's doing his job, you know? So what did you guys think of that? Like dynamic there. It, um, <clears throat> it kind of reminded me of the Seinfeld episode where George decides to act against his instincts. And everything starts going right for him. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, if you don't tr try everything, just try the opposite. Mm -hmm. And uh, as far as Gary goes, like, you know, maybe in a way, either Lou or Gary are the moral center of the show. Yeah. Maybe, and maybe that's why we saw more of Gary than we thought we were going to see when he first got his arm shot off. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we also get the revelation that uh, Gary is actually gay and he has a partner, uh, Big Mike, which I thought was really cool because they don't make a big deal about it. You know, um, it's just it's just a thing that's there. And I thought that was actually really cool uh, that they did that. Um, and then we get this exposition dump about what Hexus is, which I thought was really funny because it's the kind of thing that most people complain about, you know, when they're just like spewing all the information out you know just saying it like that but if you don't know anything about it you're not gonna know any like if you haven't read the comics it's a real deep cut kind of a thing i didn't know anything about what hexus was and so i'm kind of glad that they did it i don't know what you guys thought about that 
Yeah, overall, I thought, I thought it worked. I thought it was necessary to kind of explain it. So um, it's kind of funny when you're reading comics, you don't necessarily need that in a way because there's a certain amount of imagination that you bring into it. Um, so I, I, I think if this was in a book form, you wouldn't necessarily needed it as much, but I think that, I think it worked. I think it was, um, yeah, it was kind of a, a thing that had to happen. And, and, uh, I think they did the best that they could with trying to just get it all out there. Yeah. Seth? It made sense to me. It's the villain explaining the plan right before they think they're going to kill off the guy. You know, it's, it's that setup that, that lets you know, like, Hey, this is what all of this has really been about and been for. And also it, it sets what you know are these unreliable characters like Modoc, his wife, and others who have demonstrated they have their own personal motives that will drive their actions. What will they all do when facing something that has sort of presented itself in all the ways it does with that explanation? Like you just like, oh, this isn't gonna end well. Like <laughs> it doesn't look good for our heroes kind of a situation. But I enjoyed it because you finally got that context of everything that had been going on and what it all means now, which is kind of important for the viewer. Yeah. Uh, so then we get uh, Gary. He's trying. He, he's he is backing Modoc and he's trying to take out Austin here. Um, Gary winds up getting kidnapped by Monica because Monica wants to know what the hell is going on with Modoc. She uh, chains him up on this on this on this rack. Austin winds up hiding in this machine, which until after stuff happens, we don't know what exactly it is. Um, Gary chews off his own hand. And I'm pretty sure that's the last time we see Gary. I don't think we see him again uh, in this episode, in the, in the rest of the show, the last two episodes, this episode and the last episode. So I want to know what the hell happened to Gary after he chewed off his own. He has no hands. He has, he's missing an arm and he's got a stub now. So, like, what is this guy going to do? He's got nothing. Um, and then Austin winds up getting merged the fly style with his dog. Uh, what would you guys think of uh, all this that, that happened here? Man, I uh, – maybe, Gary, that will just be a kind of a running joke. Every season, more of his body will disappear. So, uh, he's like a, a torso or just a head like the Black Knight in uh, – um, oh crap. man, that's great! Oh, I'd love that. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, yeah. And as far as Austin goes, it couldn't happen to a better guy. <laughs> you know, like, what? What a jerk! So, yeah, I yeah. wasn't, I wasn't uh, sad to see that happen to him. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Seth? Yeah, when it comes to Austin, I was actually starting to like him a little bit because of the dog. And then once he becomes almost likable and you care a little bit, then, of course, we see him, you know, fly, basically. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and and then you're like, yeah, kill him. Like, just kill him. But, you know, yeah. I love that even after he gets merged, he still has a couple of nice moments. And then we get, you know, goodbye. Goodbye, Austin. Yeah. <laughs> then we get uh, the return of Iron Man uh, in this episode and MODOK's villain crew as I like to call him. Uh, and Modoc winds up selling aim to Iron Man, which I thought was a, a brilliant way to kind of get around everything, you know, uh, this whole grumble thing and to finally put that to rest. He just sold off aim and convinced Monica to sell her shares to Iron Man. So then Iron Man owns aim and then him and uh, Monica start aim too, but they use dashes, 
not dots, which I thought was 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 pretty funny. Um, oh, I was mistaken. We do see Gary one last time. He hits Austin with the truck. I don't know how he was driving that thing with a stump, but that that's where we see him uh, one one final time. And then we see that the uh, the board or hexis, whatever we want to call them, hires a new person, Janice, to fulfill their pr- plan. So obviously they are not done with uh, with whatever you know they got going on, taking over this planet. Uh, what do you guys think of the rest of this episode? Uh, going back to the truck thing for a second, that kind of reminded me a little bit of RoboCop. <laughs> when the guy who's in the toxic waste and gets hit by the truck, so that yeah. was, uh, that was a uh, nice eighties another yeah. 80s throwback. Um, I love how many movie references they throw into this show. It's great. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, it's it definitely worth a, a rewatch. To yeah, pick up those little those little details. Um, and as far as the episode goes, I think it was a good way to kind of. Uh, continue on with the big bad of uh of the season and um kind of one more final push through for the final episode yeah so that was kind of a, a interesting reveal with janice yeah yeah i i think bringing in iron man solves the one problem creates another one and i also love the fact that yeah hexus isn't going away it's just finding a new you know person through which to work through and clearly, we're going to see more of them uh, in the future. But now it leaves us with that feeling of false sense of security of like, everything's okay. We took care of the big bad, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that brings us into our final episode. Uh, I love the title of this one, Days of Future Modox. It's a great title for an episode. Uh, it's Lose Bar Mitzvah, finally. You know, and there are two of them, which I love that we have the two lose uh, from, you know, one's a robot, one is not. We don't know who, who is who, but we got double the Lou, and I'm okay with that. We don't have a Gary, but we got two lose, and that's all that matters. Um, so there's a shot, uh, uh, Melissa on her new Stark phone, and she uh, is, is using this filter. That makes everybody, I don't remember what she said. I think she said makes everybody look like a puppet. But it's Pat and Oswald's head. Like, it's his real face in the MODOK stuff. And I was like, that is brilliant. Like, it's just something so little and stupid. But it was brilliant, and I absolutely loved it. Um, MODOK, apparently a big fan of Night Court. I don't know if you guys are uh, Night Court fans over there. Me and my dad used to watch Night Court all the time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Modoc is tasked with getting uh, people to the bar mitzvah. Um, he apparently was, he misunderstood what the Lou's wanted, and no kids were coming to this party. So uh, Melissa takes him to the mall to try to get some uh, kids. Seems really creepy when you say it that way, but it's true. Uh, what do you guys think of uh, what, what's going on here at the beginning of this episode? Yeah, creepy. Uh, creepy is right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I it, it's kind of nice to see the family side of Modoc 
come out and kind of finally win in the final episode yeah. and him trying to come through for Lou. Cause the only thing that's better than Lou is to lose. So, uh, yeah, I, I like seeing that side of, uh, of Modoc, the, uh, the caring dad and it, it, it related and the same way with Melissa, seeing a caring Melissa, who's just trying to look out for her, uh, for her brother. So that was, that was kind of nice to see. Yeah. All I can say is you got to appreciate a guy like Modoc who's willing to go that deeply in the wrong way to try and do something right. Like, you know, his, his, all of everything else is in the wrong place except his heart. So yeah. <laughs> it's a True. perfect example. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, in perfect Modoc fashion, he bungles the whole situation and, uh, unable to get any kids to this party. So he does what he does and he brings, uh, a bunch of villains random creatures uh we get the the seagramites hooked to some like dollies because they're all tied up i don't even know why you would bother bringing them i'm just saying that's that's too risky in my opinion um we get the the uh the some kobolds show up which i thought was cool his whole villain crew and uh carmilla even shows up which i was like all right all right you know she's got to lose now and uh we'll see what happens <laughs> Uh, then Modoc and Jody are, uh, it really seems like they're working toward getting back to where they, to where they, uh, used to be. Uh, they're not there yet, obviously. Um, but they're, they're working toward that. And I like, I like seeing that, you know, uh, it's something that they've been working toward the whole season. And, um, it's something that I'm glad they didn't just kind of leave hanging at the, you know, at the end, we do see that, uh, happening at least. Um, then super adaptoid lets out the Seagramites and then we get the anomaly returning, crushing them. What'd you guys think of everything that led up to the return of the anomaly and uh, that reveal that he was just a robot on murder world and didn't actually die. Uh, I kind of saw that coming. <clears throat> Um, when it was revealed, I was like, oh yeah, okay, that makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I also love how, how they're just like, yeah, robot. Yeah. Like, you know what right. I mean? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We figure, yeah, okay. you're a robot or you were a robot. Whatever. <clears throat> yeah. What about you, Seth? Yeah. I love the way it just sets up that feeling like everything's going to work out and then nice big twist at the end which also leaves us with all this like uncertainty for how season two is supposed to play out or even pick up after that, you know, and, yeah. and what does it look like when you've gone through this whole journey and you're not quite sure if it's like the J the dream, you know, from JR got shot from way back when or what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the return of, of, uh, past Modoc or the anomaly, uh, cause technically he's not yet the anomaly. He explains that, you know, coming up here soon, um, I think was really cool because like we needed that that we needed him to be the big bad at the end, you know, because that's I mean, it, most of what was happening was coming from him, you know, uh, the whole murder world thing, and everything. It was just all leading up toward this, and we get this this fight that goes on and. Uh, he goes to kill the family because he says that that's what will drive you 
to become the Modoc that you need to be, to become the emperor that you need to be, to have that utopia that you've dreamed about since you were a child. And uh, Modoc blasts one of the time crystals in his face and it freezes all of time right before they get hit. And then they have this discussion and they go through time and all this stuff. And they talk about, he has to make this choice. Does he want to have that utopia and be that emperor Modoc, Or does he want his family because he can't have both? The only, the, it's kind of like, um, uh, infinity war where, or uh, in Endgame, I mean, where there's only one possible path of the 14 million and five or whatever it was. The anomaly does the calculation and there's only one way for him to get what he wants. And that's for his family to die. And he has to make that choice. And uh, so uh, before we get into what that choice is, I wanted to get your guys thoughts on uh, that concept and everything leading up to that. Uh, Yeah, that's it, it. It's all been leading up to that moment. The whole series was all about is he yeah. choose the family or is he going to choose the not necessarily work career but what he you know what he wanted outside of the family life so what's going to be the important thing yeah and it's kind of one of the things about the character is that you certain points during the series you didn't know what he would have chose you know so it could have still in a way could have gone either side. So, though I do feel like if you if you go back and you look, they almost telegraph it for you because like he chooses sleeping in his marital bed with an Iron Man boot over sleeping in bed with his wife. He chooses going to try to kill Austin over spending the Third Eye Blind concert with his uh, wife. He chooses breaking his son's heart instead of allowing him to you know be who he is and perform the magic i mean eventually you know he he softens on that but he's always choosing other than his family it seems but you they still somehow make you doubt that he'll choose other like they they somehow still make you think oh he'll choose his family in the end i don't know how they did it i just don't understand i think that's um kind of the writing and Pat Oswalt's performance to, to yeah. make you still kind of root for him no matter what, yeah. even though he's yeah. been a horrible, uh, can't really say human, but a horrible Modoc <laughs> through the entire, yeah. the entire series. It's true. Uh, what about you, Seth? It reminds me of what they say about a great novel when it pushes a character to all the possibilities they can do, and then they revert back to their nature, knowing full well all the things they're giving up simply because this is who they are. And, and it was such a great example of, of that entire season showing us all the ways he could do it differently. And Mordok's always going to choose the same way every single yeah. time. And season ender. Great, great finale. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, he makes his choice. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a tough scene, but he, he makes his choice and they flash to the future where he is now Emperor Modok and uh, his family is gone. Uh, the Avengers are gone. He has destroyed them all. He's got a like a, a hallway of all their like trinkets. He made a, an Iron Throne out of Iron Man, which I thought was kind of awesome. Uh, and he he still has the anomaly hooked up 
So that now what I originally thought the first time I watched it, I thought he was tr- using him to try to go back in time to save them. But I don't, after I watched it the second time, it felt more like all he was doing was using him to relive those moments, you know, so that he would, that would still be there with him. And then once, you know, he was dead, you know, he, he vows to bring his family there because he has no way to see that anymore. He doesn't have that connection anymore. Uh, I kind of want to get your guys thoughts on, on that. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, <clears throat> once again, I think that's a pretty good theory. Um, even though you choose one way, you'd still kind of like to relive the good parts of what came before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that makes that, that, that tracks for sure. Yeah. See, I've only watched it one time through, so I had the initial feeling. But now I'm curious about yours, and I'm going to have to go back and watch it a second time. And uh, where's the problem in that, right? I'll, I'll probably watch it a third time, to be honest with you, because like, I, I enjoyed it so much. And it's not a super long watch either, which is which is nice to to be able to go in and, and do that. Um, with you. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, he he vows to bring his family back, and that's how the season ends. You know, he is Emperor Modok. Everything has been destroyed. They they have said that they do have plans for a season two. Uh, It has not been technically renewed yet by Hulu or or anything. So we don't really know. I'm sure because it's really positive reviews. And uh, as long as the numbers are good, I'm sure we'll get that season two. Um, What would you guys like to see from a season two? Uh, I would like to see um, maybe him redeem himself a little bit. Uh, And I would like to see them bring more obscure uh, characters from the comics into it. And I I, I like that they use villains from different kind of like, you know, Avengers villains. And you have... Uh, X-Men villains. It would be kind of cool to see some Spider-Man villains and Mm -hmm. maybe instead of having Iron Man pop in, you could have maybe Spider-Man or Captain America be the the pop in. Definitely not Daredevil. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I I think that there's plenty of um, they left themselves plenty of room for for a second season. So yeah, Yeah. really I, I, I hope it happens and, you know, we'll see what happens with Gary. Would you, do you want it to, to be set in this, uh, Modoc world future, or do you want him to go back in time and be in present day since that was what the show was? And that's kind of where a lot of the charm of the show comes from. I think what would happen is you would have maybe of the first episode of the second season would take place in this world. Or two episodes, maybe. And then he realized that he didn't want it. So the rest of the season was him trying to go back and and change things over. Okay. What about you, Seth? Well, I like the ending. And uh, regarding the second season, what I actually want is a, a two-point of view. I want one where he's in the future trying to work to the past. And I want the present to be sort of exploring how it is that we're getting closer to the future and how they're both recognizing like the danger of like, you know, point of no return kind of an idea. 
And actually, this has to be my last comment. I totally got to hop off right now. I, <laughs> I completely apologize. Yeah, no worries, man. Uh, before you go, let everybody know where they can find you. You know what? Come find me at DC Comics News, hanging out with the great gang, writing reviews, doing the podcast, uh, weekly podcast, hosting the Spinner Rack, my top five picks from DC Comics. And uh, you can find me just out there in the wider world. Just type in Seth Singleton and uh, anything you heard me say today. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure you're going to find me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. It was great hanging out. Y'all take yeah, care. Yeah, man. Have a good one. <laughs> All right. Bye now. Later. All right. So, uh, yeah, you had any uh, final thoughts on MODOK? Uh, I, I hope we get a second season. That's uh, that's what I'm going to say. Um you know, I think um, going back and, and rewatching it made me like it even more than the first time. And I think for me, a lot of comedy works that way. So yeah. the same way with Harley Quinn. Like I, I liked it the first time, but then going back for the podcast, um, I liked it even better. And talking about it brought up things in my mind that you guys talked about that the third time I'll even – you know, pick up more on it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a there's a lot there for kind of comic fans and people who are new to the character to uh, to enjoy. So, yeah. uh, I would just say watch it. Yeah, absolutely, definitely check out uh, Modoc. It's on Hulu right now. All ten episodes. Be sure to check that out and uh, let everybody know where they can find you, Brad. Uh, you can find me uh, writing news reviews at dccomicsnews.com. You can find me on the uh, DC Comics News podcast and on the Harley Quinn Mad Love podcast, part of the DC Comics News podcast network. And you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at JP Rayner. That's J P R A Y N O R, uh, as well as right here on Merc with the Movie Blog. It's at Movie Blog Merc on Twitter. Uh, Merkin Movie Blog on YouTube. Be sure to uh, check us out uh, there. Uh, This has been Oh, What a Marvel, the Marvel podcast right here on Merk with a Movie Blog. Uh, Thank you guys for joining us, and uh, uh, stay tuned for uh, Loki. Uh, We're going to be doing the Loki series. uh, I think it starts the 9th of June, so uh, keep an eye off our episodes uh, for that. We'll be doing uh, every week. We'll be doing an episode for that, so uh, stay tuned. Catch you guys next time.